Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of June 29, 2023, including the FTC versus Microsoft hearing is dropping tons of crazy news stories. Like right now, like there's a million of them happening as I'm recording. We can only keep up with it so fast, including things like the fact that Microsoft is looking into buying Sega or Bungie, or at least were at one point. Sony admits in these documents and these emails are being revealed that this acquisition does not even have much of a material impact on them. Emails reveal that Bobby Kotick is not even a fan or a supporter, really, of services like Game Pass, despite this big deal that's going on, and much, 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 much more. This year in Xbox history, in the year 2004, which was 19 years ago, Spider-Man 2 was released for the original Xbox, that is 2004's Spider-Man 2, the OG, based on the Sam Raimi movie of the same year, same summer, hell yeah, developed by Treyarch and published by Activision, this was long before the days of Call of Duty Black Ops, ooh, the best, it's not probably not technically the best Spider-Man game, but like, you know, like the best Spider-Man game in a way. I, don't know, I think this is still my favorite Spider-Man game, even though if I played today, it probably doesn't hold up nearly as well as uh, I, I, I probably remember it holding up. Regardless of the fact, happy uh, 19th birthday to both Spider-Man 2, the movie, and the video game. You rock. I love you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Welcome to episode 213 of the Xbox On Podcast. Holy mother of John Stamos, as my brother would probably say. We are, I don't even know what to say. Uh, remember that Xbox showcase a couple weeks back where we got all the big news and all we saw the new games and new trailers? Yeah, that's nothing compared to this shit. Uh, a little bit of a hyperbole, well, just in the sense that that event was a little more exciting with what we saw. Uh, however, I think there's a, a just a, a bunch of news to get to this week, and a lot of it is pretty exciting, but, you know, there's a difference between getting new games and uh, Bobby Kotick said something in an email that we get to read. But... We do have a lot of really cool stuff because if you've been living, unless you've been living under a rock, the FTC Xbox hearing is, is happening right now. It's happening this week. In fact, it's literally happening as I'm recording this podcast. Sachin Nadella is actually talking to the FTC right now. So we're probably missing stories as they're developing just by way of recording this podcast. But yeah, they've been they've been meeting every day this week and it has just been just bombshell after bombshell of this email is revealed. Here's a document with not too much redacted information, surprisingly. And we're just getting all this crazy, crazy information, which is leading to a very, very juicy amount of Xbox news for us to dig into. Things all about Microsoft, various studios that they had at one point thought about purchasing or, or made moves to maybe purchase. And Activision, where they stand on Game Pass, despite the fact that they're about to possibly become part of Xbox. And all this crazy stuff. So much interesting stuff. So guys, stay tuned for that. And then also... We got a really interesting scoop that comes by way of IGN uh, regarding what the fuck is going on, you know, with the initiative and with Perfect Dark, which was the most important story to me up until a couple days ago when fucking Bobby Kotick and 
Jim Ryan and Phil Spencer started sharing their freaking Outlook emails with one another. So whew, that's just a little bit of a, a preface as to say this is not going to be a usual week for Xbox One. We got a lot to talk about. In fact, and I know I, I always say this and then I joke about how I say it and then we don't do it. We really do have to kind of keep the pace going a little bit this week where we can't just sit and dwell on any one story too long. Because just with this court hearing alone, there are 17 different developments we have to touch on just to kind of cover what all has been what all has happened from Monday until today, this Wednesday afternoon that I'm recording this podcast. So I assume uh, by Thursday, Friday, we'll have even more news to talk about that. We'll have to push to next week's podcast. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a freaking buffet of Xbox news. You guys So just keep, keep it locked to Xbox on as well as your other favorite Xbox news outlets and podcasts, because there's just going to be so much to digest and, and uh, enjoy here. So with that said, we are still going to include all the other opening podcast segments because this is Xbox on Goddammit. We have time to talk about Taco Bell. And uh, we'll start off with our first segment of the of the week, the notable game releases coming out this week. So it's been a crazy year, 2023, lots of big notable games. This week is not one of those weeks, however, where we got like seven freaking must-play games. But we do have a couple of games that I think will be of some interest to, to audiences. For example, Destroy All Humans 2 Reprobed is now out. Uh, it's actually an Xbox One title, so yeah, you 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 know it's not Series X and S optimized, which is a little odd, but it is out as of today, as of the day I'm recording this, or as of I think Tuesday, so it's been out for a day. But yeah, this one's out now. I know the reprobed or the remastered edition uh, version of Destroy All Humans One that came out mm, what two years ago was uh, was pretty well received, and now the sequel is getting its uh, its remaster as well as part of Embracer just owning all the IP of AA games from our childhood. So here you go, Destroy All Humans 2. I'm sure it'll be quite good. The first one was quite quite good. Uh, important to note that this game, and they even make it a point to advertise on the box, does not include multiplayer. It's just the single player of Destroy All Humans 2. So uh, the, yeah, it literally says, Destroy All Humans 2, single player on the box. And then above that, with yellow caution tape, it says, no multiplayer, which, I don't know, I, I, I find that quite charming to... To just be like abrasive about what you don't include in the game. I like that. I want the next Halo game to come out and be like Halo 7, no coherent story mode. Just like slapped it right there on the box. I feel like that would be not only transparent, but also just uh, it would just make the collecting the physical version, I guess, more fun. But anyway, another game coming out this week, one I have zero interest in, but for some reason, uh, or not for some reason, but I'm sure many care about because wrestling's freaking huge. W or AEW, not WWE. Oops, almost got in trouble there. I know you wrestling fans get all passionate about your various divisions and types of wrestling. AEW Fight Forever uh, is is out this week. I don't even I don't even think AEW is is wrestling. Actually, is that is that one of the MMA or the Maximum Arts? I, I I'm not I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not, I'm not even trying to insult anyone. I, I really don't know. I'm pretty. I'm a hundred percent sure. Actually, I'm like ninety eight point twelve percent sure that AEW is one of the wrestling divisions or um, whatever. But I, I just uh in the moment, freaked out a little bit and thought, what do I know? Anyway, new AEW game out on Xbox Series S, X, and Xbox One and PC as of this Friday. So if you're listening to this the day it goes live, tomorrow this game will be out. I don't know. Wrestling games seem to do quite well, and I, I kind of see why. I mean, wrestling's an ideal sport in terms of its uh, just its inherent nature lending itself well and translating well to video games. So I, I get that. You know, fighting games are huge. Wrestling is fighting. Why, why wouldn't you be able to make a good game out of wrestling. So I get it. It's out now. Go buy it. Go do your thing. You know, best case scenario with a wrestling game, it's either a really good wrestling game and wrestling fans get to enjoy it or 
on the flip side, you could have one of those wrestling games where it's so bad and broken and shitty that non-wrestling fans get to have a really fun game to just kind of laugh at. So either way, usually wrestling ends up kind of being something interesting. So there's AW Fight Forever as well as Destroy All Humans 2 reprobed single player out this week. With that said, normally from this point on, we'd go into our Activision updates of the week. But since we have about 43 Activision updates to get to in the main story, we're just going to put that on ice and, and wait till we get to the actual news. So no Activision updates to really touch on and no corrections because I probably did make a couple mistakes last week on the podcast, but you think I'm really man enough to go back and correct myself when I'm wrong? No, I for, I just, what I do is I gaslight you. If you try to point out something I said that was incorrect, what I will do is I'll gaslight you. I'll tell you that you're the one that got it wrong. And then I'll just double triple down on whatever I said or what I want to tell you. I now said in retrospect, I'll try to rewrite the history and it's just, it's how it works. It's, I, I don't see the problem with it. So I'm pretty sure I got everything right 100% last week. And that would bring us to our mildly amusing stories, our updates, our stories we open the podcast with and just kind of breeze and ease our way through to kind of get a it's, – it's like the – it's like if you're having a progressive dinner, right? You don't you don't just go into a fucking ta- – you don't go to a table, sit down, and eat a fucking steak and mashed potatoes. No. Stop. You walk in. You sit in like kind of a, a little like – maybe you go on a terrace or you sit in like a freaking – uh, recreational room or something like that, and you have some uh, some champagne, some wine, or cocktail, and some hors d'oeuvres, something of that nature, and then you progr- you move your way into the main dining room, or you sit down at a table, maybe have some appetizers, something of that nature. It's kind of like how I do my podcast. It's a little bit of like the a progressive meal. We have some nice, light stories to to, to, to touch upon, get our palates wet, and then we move into the big meaty news stories where Bobby Cote comes out as a furry and Phil Spencer says, objection, he can't be a furry because I'm a furry. And then and then Jim Ryan gets up and says, your honor, neither of these two men could possibly be furries. And then rips his shirt off and says, for I am a furry, but he's not actually a furry, he just has very hairy chest. And then the, the, the lawyer's like, objection, objection, objector. And he says that he's being objectified by all these furries because he is uh, uh, I'm losing the plot but the the point is we're starting off with some mildly amusing small stories and this is the good stuff too because if you're not looking forward to all the court updates which you should be it's some really interesting stuff uh, this is basically the only news we have this week that isn't related to the FTC Microsoft Activision court hearing shenanigans so Starting off with one that's actually pretty timely because this podcast goes live the day before the brand new and final, and I say final with the heaviest air quotes of all time, final Indiana Jones movie comes out. Indiana Jones in the dynamic dial of destiny or whatever the fuck it's called. Uh, Yeah, so speaking of things they won't let die, Bethesda's Indiana Jones video game is now an Xbox console exclusive. It has been confirmed. Bethesda, this is coming by way of VGC, the only website I have internet access to. Bethesda's in-development Indiana Jones game is now an Xbox console exclusive. It's been confirmed. The exclusivity was confirmed by publishing um, uh, Bethesda boss Pete Hines last week, who was speaking in a court during, oh, I forgot about this part. I guess this is kind of related. Who was speaking in court during an opening day of Microsoft's legal battle with the FTC? Uh, and Heinz, when when the FTC lawyer uh, asked Heinz to confirm it, before Bethesda was acquired by Microsoft, Disney had signed an agreement with its parent Zenimax, Bethesda's parent company Zenimax, to quote make an Indiana Jones game for multiple consoles. To which he replied, "Yes, that, that's the case. That was the agreement." 
The publishing boss was then asked to confirm after Microsoft's acquisition, Disney brought up the issue of which consoles the Indiana Jones game would be released for, to which uh, Hines replied, yes, uh, he, they, they did bring up the issue. Uh, he then confirmed that Bethesda had later amended the Disney agreement and that Indiana Jones will now be an Xbox and PC exclusive in a day one release on Game Pass. Uh, announced back in January 2021, the Indiana Jones game in development is, is, is being done by none other than Machine Games, the Swedish masterminds behind the modern Wolfenstein games. And before that, they made the Darkness 1 and 2 on the Xbox 360. All very cool games. Very, very, very celebrated and loved. Excellent Swedish little developer, little little Euro friends over there. Pete Hines claimed in court last week during the, um, during the hearing that the publisher now made an exclusive decision on a case by case basis uh, as to, as to how these you know games were determined to be exclusive or multi platform which we'll get into later on in, in when we get into all that shenanigans but for now we're focused on indie uh, Indiana Jones, which is not indie, the game, which is not an indie game, just to be completely clear in, in, in crystal that not crystal, like the kingdom of the skull, but crystal, like crystal clear. Okay. So I think, I think what's notable here is not that, oh, wow, it's going to be uh, exclusive. A, a new game from an Xbox owned team is going to be exclusive to Xbox and PC. I don't think that's the, what makes it so interesting. It's that this one was a unique case where we could have maybe seen it gone another way. So Obviously, you know, we, and we'll touch on this again when we get to the main news. When we see a game like Elder Scrolls 6, I think most of us kind of assume, yeah, that'll probably still remain multi platform and come to PlayStation because Elder Scrolls has been supported on PlayStation up until this point. Why would they take it away? And then when we see something like Starfield, we can all wrap our brains around, like, well, yeah, that's exclusive because that game doesn't have a history and a presence on PlayStation. So why would you start off this brand new single player IP by just throwing it on the competitor's um, platform? So we all kind of get like the the touch and go nature of it. I feel like there's a it's like an unspoken, un, undefined kind of way in which people who just play video games and are somewhat attuned to the video games industry just kind of have a, a, a read on and a feel for. You know, it's like without explaining exactly why it absolutely makes sense, it just kind of makes sense, right? The thing with Indiana Jones was it was a little bit of a rocky situation where no one was 100% just for the simple fact that this deal was inked with Bethesda before Microsoft officially bought Bethesda. And of course, Bethesda and Disney would have made this deal to where this game would have been multi-platform. It would have come to all major platforms. So that's why it was a little bit of like, a, mm, how does that work? Does Xbox have the ability to then go in and just amend that that agreement? Or how, how does that work? What do they need to do? Is that is that something they're willing to fight for? So there was the potential and possibility that this game could have been a multi-platform game, which I think is just kind of what makes this news so notable and not just affirming something we kind of already knew. But yeah, I mean, this is going to be an Xbox PC you know, Xbox exclusive, not a PlayStation game. So in a way it is kind of Xbox's it, retroactively. This, this game has become in a, in a sense, Xbox's response, so to speak to Sony having like Spider-Man, you know, another Disney game that uh, is console exclusive, but on the other, on the other side of the aisle. Right. So, I get that. I mean, at the end of the day, and we talked about this back when this game was originally announced and when we were going on and on about, like, will it be exclusive and, oh, what does this mean for Xbox? But I think Indiana Jones is an IP that would make a really cool game. There have been fun Indiana Jones games in the past. I think it's an underexplored, underutilized IP, and clearly it has potential because you look at really, really, really influential and popular games like, I don't know, Tomb Raider or Uncharted, which are so insanely obviously inspired deeply by Indiana Jones, and you just wonder, like, 
why the fuck haven't they done like a super triple A top to bottom, like fully envisioned and, and really finely tuned Indiana Jones video game at this point? It's like they did it for Batman, they done it for Spider Man. We fucking I don't know who else have they done it for? What other men have they done it for? They done it for they done it for the laundry man. They done it for the But the point is, I don't know, it's like we're finally getting that Indiana Jones game, and so that that is significant and this is going to be a game that gets a lot of attention, sells very well, and has a lot of hype surrounding it. So it's a really good get for for uh, for Xbox, no doubt. But I can't help but think about how, at the end of the day, it's like, if Xbox wanted to get back at PlayStation for having an exclusive Spider-Man game, Xbox should have gotten like an exclusive, I don't know, like an Iron Man game or a Star Wars game or something that's like kind of of equal value. And that's no disrespect to Indiana Jones. I actually quite enjoy the original Indiana Jones movies. I think they're pretty fun. Um, I, I get the appeal. I get why they're so beloved. But it's just, I don't know. Indiana Jones doesn't have the staying power of, like, Marvel or, or or Star Wars. And maybe that's just because, you know, Star Wars just won't fucking die and Marvel has stayed relevant throughout time. But Indiana Jones, you know, like, it was a thing. It was really good when it was around. And then it went away forever. So it's just, like, kind of this thing where... Everyone knows it, everyone loves it, but it's not a true, like, Spider-Man competitor. So I'm really curious to see, I guess, if Xbox treats this as, like, a response to Spider-Man now that they they have it. Or if this is going to be maybe a testing ground for, they're like, oh, man, we did really well with this with this console exclusive that we worked a deal out with Disney over. And maybe, maybe it becomes the start of something, and then they want to do another thing, and they're like, hey which one of our developers would like to make a Marvel game? And then we can get like a, like a Xbox exclusive Iron Man game or some shit like that. Or maybe we can get an Xbox exclusive uh, Star Wars game. I don't know. You have Obsidian. They have a history with making good Star Wars RPGs. Maybe they'd like to make a Star Wars RPG. I'm just saying maybe, but I don't know. I just, I, I'm just curious about that angle of it because you know, personally I, I love Spider-Man to, to hell and back. It's my favorite fucking fictional character. So of course I'm going to just freaking you know, wank off Sony all day and night over the fact that they got a triple a awesome Spider-Man franchise going on, on, on their platform. But Indiana Jones, like it's a franchise. I like it's a character. I like it's a, it's a world I'm interested in. I'll definitely play this game. It's made by a developer. I adore. Um, I'm sure it will be interesting. I'm sure it will be cool. It'll be probably very triple a and, and compelling. And so I'm looking forward to this game. Absolutely. But I don't know, man. I just don't think at the end of the day, like if if I, you just had the assumption, right, that that someone who is choosing between purchasing an Xbox or a PlayStation or getting Game Pass versus I don't know, not getting Game Pass or subscribing to some other service that maybe they would uh, maybe they would weigh something like, oh well, over on PlayStation they've got like Spider Man stuff, uh, but on Xbox they got Indiana Jones. It's like how many more people are likely to. To, to lean on Indiana Jones over Spider-Man. I just feel like you, you need to have, I don't know, it's like fight fire with fire. I feel like they're fighting fire with, like, with sparklers, you know? Like, I don't know. It's like they just have, they have fire. They just have significantly weaker fire, if, that's, if that makes any sense. And judging by the earlier views of this new Indiana Jones movie, it doesn't seem like uh, the, the Dial of Destiny is about to really change change the narrative there no disrespect hey i'm i'm going to see it this weekend i'm pretty excited to see it i i think at the very least it will be a very fun two hours of my life but i i can't foresee a future where dial of destiny comes out and takes the world by storm and we're all just suddenly head over heels like diehard indiana jones fans the way that suddenly everyone in the world became diehard guardians of the galaxy fans who retroactively read the comic books apparently uh in the summer of 2014 so i just don't see that being the case hey there's one they could do a uh, xbox exclusive first party AAA guardians of the galaxy game although uh, i feel like, i don't know it's been tapped a little bit lately so maybe not i don't know i just want to throw that out there regardless of the fact i'm excited i think this is a good win for xbox 
it does suck for PlayStation fans. Uh, I, I don't want people to lose out on access to games, but at the same time, if you're trying to run a successful video game company, I guess you, you gotta have some killer apps, and Indiana Jones is a pretty good killer app. It's no Spider-Man, but it's a pretty good killer app, and I'm very much looking forward to this game, although I really, really, really hope this game doesn't uh, become one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, Indiana Jones killed it on Xbox. Now now Machine Games is stuck on Indiana Jones indefinitely. They're, they're the Indiana Jones developer, because that would, that would suck. I'd like to see them make more uh, more Wolfenstein or something, something a little more mature like Wolfenstein, because Indiana Jones, it's going to have to be pretty PG-13. It's going to be... I assume this will be a very T for teen game, so... I don't know. I like I like the crazy stuff they do with cutting Nazis' faces off, faces off and stuff. Uh, it's one thing to be Indiana Jones, to be an archaeologist, and to whip you know to be to be whipping the Nazis on the back. But you know, Wolfenstein, you can shoot the motherfuckers in the face, and that's a little I don't know. It's a little more satisfying, don't you think? God, video games are so violent. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Halo Infinite. From Windows Central, is the popular wave defense horde mode firefight coming back to Halo Infinite? It's a question that fans of Halo's PvE experience have been asking ever since the game came out in late 2021. Unfortunately, however, Microsoft and 343 haven't said dick concerning the answer, and Windows Central didn't say that. I said that. However, a new leak has surfaced and suggesting that Firefight may be on the way. Shown by the widely known leaker, Bathrobe Spartan on Twitter, the, <laughs> the leak includes screenshots of in-game settings, menus, Firefight, as well as Bathrobe Spartan's own findings. According to their uh, report, Halo Infinite's Firefight will allow players to create their own maps, choose which AI enemies will spawn in, and uh, with the Forge map-making tool, with support from tweaking the appearances and weapons and AI, as well as scripting custom encounters. You'll also be able to revive your teammates as they go down, similar the way you can with attrition multiplayer mode. Beyond Firefight, Bathrobe Spartan says that the players will be able to add AI to all Halo Infinite multiplayer game types going forward. If true, this would mean that it'd be possible to build custom PvPVE experiences similar to Halo 5 Guardians Warzone, which is, uh, which is oh, so good. That'd be awesome. In which enemy AIs would uh, attack both team players to, and to speculate, you might even be able to assign specific groups of AI team Oh my god, I gotta stop for a second, because that just made me so fucking sad. Alright, sadly, Bathroom Spartan didn't have any release date information, so it's unclear whether Firefight will actually make it to the game, and if so, when. But assuming it's legit, hey, this is a big PvE get for Halo Infinite. God, it makes me so sad thinking about uh, how Halo 5 launched with uh, Warzone, and how Warzone used to mean Halo and not and not Call of Duty. And uh, then we got Warzone Firefight, which is so good. God, Halo 5 was so good. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, moving on, moving on. I don't want to cry. This is exciting. This is cool. Hey, listen, I've been playing Halo, a little bit of Halo Infinite this week. We'll get to it with the, what I've been playing. But I got to say, Firefight is a little bit of that secret sauce the game's missing. The game's really starting to come together. We got the freaking the Horde mode. or Horde mode. We got, we got uh, Infection. We got... Forge, we got a lot more maps, we got map diversity, we got more mode diversity, we've got a legitimate ranking system. The game's really come a long way. I think Halo Infinite's multiplayer is in a very solid 1.0 state at this point in time. Oh, Firefight would be so good though. Firefight is my, God, it's, it's one of my favorite things about Halo. I played so much Firefight. Firefight was like back in the day, like in 09, 2010. That was like my, uh, hey, I'm, I'm a little tired of Call of Duty Zombies, let's go play Halo Firefight. And then it was like, hey, I'm a little tired of Firefight, let's go play Zombies. Okay, I'm I'm tired of zombies. Let's go play firefight. Just fl flopping back, flipping back and forth between all the inf the infection modes, the horde modes. I mean, throw some gears two horde mode in there if you want to. Although I didn't play that as much back in those days as I, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's good stuff. So um, yeah, here's hoping this is real. I got nothing more to say about that, but I, I, I I'm of two minds. I think one 
so cool to bring firefighting to Halo Infinite. Good on you guys for continuing to support the game. That's awesome. Can't wait to try it. And then at the same time, I'm also just like, fucking, dude, just give up and move on. Restructure this studio and figure out what you want to do next because Halo Infinite's a lost cause. But I don't know. I, I have a lot of respect and appreciation for the commitment to the game and hope this ends up being something super, super awesome because Halo 5's reimagining a firefight with Warzone firefight I thought was fantastic. And uh, it was better, in my opinion, than Halo Reach's firefight mode. So I don't know whether we get something that's a little more like ODST or a little more like Halo 5. I'll be happy either way. I just want some freaking firefight back in Halo, baby. Let's do this thing. All right. Uh, we got two more quick ones before we get into the actual news this week. Uh, talk about Google for some reason. From VGC, Google is reportedly testing a product that would allow players to play games via YouTube. That's going to the Wall Street Journal, citing an internal email sent to employee parent company Google. The new product, which is called Playables, you know, it's like its project name, Playables, gives users a chance to play games on mobile devices and desktop computers via video game streaming. Playables reportedly allow players to play games instantly via YouTube's app on mobile devices, similar to what Google Stadia was. This is the latest foray into video games from Google following the decay, the decline, and the death of Stadia, a cloud-based gaming platform that allowed players to stream their library of, ins of games inside Chrome and Chromecast, Chromecast and other similar Google devices that you shouldn't use because they're not owned by Microsoft and I'm team green, maybe. It's currently unclear. That's a joke. It's clear, uh, currently unclear if Playables will harness the same technology used by the Google Stadia uh, the, the platform. And it's also unclear if the scope, what the scope of playables will uh, be uh, and what it will go beyond. Google has previously attempted to reuse Stata technology by offering third parties such as fitness giant Peloton to offer gamified versions of its workout, uh, but it's also been known to shut down. But that has also been shut down as of now. So my assumption is this is just recycled Google Stadia technology because, I mean, you've, inf you've invested the money in the infrastructure. You have the technology. You have the infrastructure. Why not do something with it? And so by just... By just putting access to this kind of technology on something as you know ubiquitous as as YouTube, I feel like there's just you know it's just like a, an attrition game, right? Because with Google Stadia, you had to convince people to go to Google Stadia, like the website, the app within the Chrome browser or whatever. But with this, it's just like here. Basically, here's just another feature within YouTube. You're listen. Every single person in the entire universe is gonna go to YouTube whether they use this feature or not. So you might as well just throw it in there and be like, okay, now it's just on everyone's eyes. You know, everyone's going to come across this. Whether they engage with it or not, that's yet to be seen. But this is a good way to just get it out there in front of absolutely everyone. I mean, listen, if you want to get something in front of the eyes of everyone, there aren't many better websites to, to put something on than, I don't know, YouTube, Google. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good idea, I guess, that they're still trying some, some way somehow to get into this. It's just it's so Google. This is so... This is how Microsoft operates a lot of the ways in, in a lot of ways too, but Google's the, is the, is the biggest offender when it comes to this stuff. Where it's just like they're just so they're so visionless, they're so directionless. They don't stick with anything long enough. They don't they don't invest and double down and believe in a project long enough. They just they they half heartedly throw something out, then they give up on it, then they kill it, and then they take the skeleton of that project and it lives on in other things. It's like fucking Windows Phone and Cortana all over again. I swear to God, this stuff it's soulless and sad, but I mean this is a good way to get your really solid, really uh, beloved streaming technology into the hands of more people. So we'll see what can become of it. Although I think, you know, it's kind of funny because in a way I'm like, oh, this is maybe a better idea than Stadia, but also, no, it's not. I don't know. Maybe they could have put Stadia in YouTube while also having it be a separate thing from the get just to kind of drive people towards Stadia. Although I don't know if that would have done much. Anyway, it's happening. We'll see how it goes. 
more competition for Xbox. Maybe Xbox can use this in some legal argument that, hey, look, YouTube is, uh, they're trying to fight us, approve our deal. Finally, and this one's just a real quick one, E3 2024 and 2025 have reportedly been canceled. According to the uh, LA uh, Tourism Board, as spotted by Reset Era, uh, the publisher published on last Wednesday a summary from a meeting packet of the city planned uh, conventions for the following years and says that in the packet that their planning includes the cancellations of uh, 2024 and 2025 E3. So in a statement issued to VGC, E3 owner of the ESA claims that no final decisions have been made about the potential of the event in the future. However, they are currently having conversations about E3 2024 and beyond, and no final decision has been made at this current time. However, I wouldn't be surprised if it was over. And I mean, listen, man. I feel like this was the year that really cemented it because E3 was supposed to come back this year. It didn't come back this year. And then we got the Xbox Showcase, the Sony Showcase, Summer Game Fest, all these other things. And you know what happened? No one said a damn thing about E3. So I feel like it's pretty cut and dry that E3 is it's, it's gone. But we'll see. Maybe they'll get Reed Pop or whatever it was back and uh, they'll try to do something again next year and they won't cancel it this time. Although... I doubt it. All right, guys. So that's it for all of our opening news stories. And then we can move into our big 17-part FTC versus Microsoft. Just whatever the hell this is that we got coming up next. But before we jump into that, you know, I got to tell you about the games I've been playing this week. And before I can even tell you about the games I've been playing first, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. You guys, it's happened. It's here. Summer is, uh, well, I want to say summer's here. There's a new Mountain Dew. But then it'd be giving you all deja vu because we said that a couple weeks ago when... uh, maybe a month ago when Mountain Dew Summer Freeze hit store shelves in, I don't I want to say late April, early May, something like that. The new Summer Mountain Dew flavor uh, modeled after the, you know, the American Red, White, and Blue, Blow Rocket Pops, whatever the fuck they're called, came out and I said it was pretty good. I tried the normal in the zero sugar version of it, said, hey, I'll be drinking this all summer. It's pretty good. And uh, after I found it one time at a Target, I never found it ever again. This is how obnoxious, totally separate tangent. We won't get into it now, but God fucking damn it, Pepsi. Why don't you focus more on like one or two flavors a year and getting them onto store shelves than like 50, 60, 70 flavors a year and then having them available in some stores in very limited quantities for like 37 seconds because I liked Summer Freeze. It was good. I bought I bought two bottles of it, one regular, one zero sugar. It, it tasted good and then I never saw it again, but I guess that's over. Here we are in the actual summer now. It's not, it's not pre-summer, it's legit summer and we got two more new flavors of Mountain Dew. So I guess Summer Freeze is over, came and went. And our new flavor is Mountain Dew Baja Caribbean Splash and Mountain Dew Baja Passion Fruit Punch. Now, all right, let me preface this with, spoiler alert, both these flavors are awesome. Really positive things to say about both these flavors. But then let me get a little negative first before we get into the positive. This is the third year in a row now Mountain Dew's done this thing where they're like, Okay, every, you know, in the summertime, we temporarily release Baja Blast, the, the, the Taco Bell exclusive flavor in stores, predominantly Walmarts, but a little bit everywhere. I've seen it everywhere, mostly Walmarts. Um, they've actually been doing that for like five or six years at this point. But about three years ago, they started doing this thing where not only do they bring Mountain Dew Baja Blast out to stores, you know, to buy in cans and bottles throughout the summertime, they, they started adding additional new flavors that they put under the Baja category or subcategory of of Mountain Dew and I, I hate I hate this so much I hate this so 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 much because 
Some of these flavors in years past have been absolute ass. Some of them have been better than others. I will, spoiler alert, the two this year I think are the best they've ever done for this this lineup of Mountain Dew. I think it's really good. But it's it's there's there's nothing Baja Blast adjacent about these flavors. Baja Blast is a very specific, unique thing. It's meant for Taco Bell. It's cool that they release in stores for like a couple of weeks in the summer. I'm, I'm all for it. But I hate that they're like, oh, yeah, let's just start – making bullshit sodas and calling it Mountain Dew Baja. It's just like, that's it's so weird. So I don't love it. I don't like them manipulating or, or milking a, a sub-brand of a brand that's already being milked like that. It's weird to me. It's kind of like uh, how Call of Duty Black Ops 3 and 4 shouldn't be called Call of Duty Black Ops because, quite frankly, they're not Black Ops games. They're just really, really bad future sci-fi lame games that don't have Black Ops anything involved in them, but that's a different argument again. All right, let's just stop being negative because it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is I've tried them both. We found a 12-pack of both of them. I really try not to drink regular soda these days, but when in when in Florida, you know. So we bought the both of them. The Caribbean Splash is the um, is the red can with the guava flavor. It's basically guava-flavored Mountain Dew, which is a phenomenal idea. I love guava. I think it's one of the better fruits out there. It's uh, it's it's one of the better fruits that translates to artificial flavoring as well. And, uh, yeah, this is no exception. This is a phen- phenomenal, fantastic Mountain Dew. It does taste like a little bit of a riff off of, like, a citrus-charged Game Fuel-type drink. So if you're a fan of Game Fuel, I'm not saying this tastes like Game Fuel, but I'm saying this does taste like a Game Fuel-adjacent flavor. For those who aren't familiar, the way Mountain Dew basically works is they have a, a handful of core flavors, and then every, like, limited-time flavor, for the most part, is a build off of those. So... Anytime you see a white Mountain Dew nine times out of ten, it's a build off of Whiteout. Anytime you see like one of these blue Mountain Dews, it's generally a build off of either Pitch Black or Voltage. Anytime you see like a red Mountain Dew, it's usually a build off of something like Game Fuel or or usually not Code Red actually. But um, they, that's just a general rule of thumb. It's not always the case, but it's very common that these limited time flavors are they taste similar to another flavor in some way, shape, or form. In this case, Caribbean Splash, the guava flavored Mountain Dew, does taste just a little bit like that, like that traditional Halo Three game fuel, uh, but with a notable guava hint to it, and it's really, really good. In fact, if I if I were still in my heyday of drinking full calorie regular soda on a regular basis, I'd be pounding this shit away. It's it's just that good. I'd be having it every night with dinner, but that is not what I'm going to allow myself to do. So I'm going to spare. I'm going to give a couple cans away and then just sparingly drink this 12 pack over the next six months because that's how I enjoy soda as an old man. Uh, the other flavor, Passion Fruit Punch. This is like their purplish blue one again, using the same logic I just laid out. This is kind of a build off of that um, voltage, kind of like Purple Thunder, that that grape flavored one that came out last summer that was surprisingly great. Uh, it, it tastes kind of adjacent to that, but with a little bit of a passion fruit twist. I think the guava stands out more in the Caribbean Splash flavor than the passion fruit stands out in the passion fruit punch flavor. But regardless, they're both delicious. The passion fruit punch, I will say, does have a little bit of a weird aftertaste to it. It's something I'm not crazy about. I can't quite put my finger on it. I've only had a can of it so far, so I'm not really in a position to really judge it extensively. You know, I'm no fucking Gordon Ramsay over here. But uh, I don't know. I'd say all in all, they're both a pretty big win. If you're a Mountain Dew fan, if you're a Mountain Dew collector, if you're someone who just wants to maybe grab a, a personal bottle at the checkout counter next time you're at the grocery store, I say go for them. You can't go wrong with either one. If you're only going to try one of them, my personal recommendation is the Caribbean Splash, the red bottle, not the purple one. But I think they're both excellent. You can't go wrong either way. So shout out to that. Stop stop milking the Baja name. It's not fun, Mountain Dew. PepsiCo, be better. And also, 
even though these two flavors are great and Summer Freeze was great, um, it's just a little head like confusing to me that it's like when I go into a Wawa or 7-Eleven, I can't just grab a bottle of whatever the latest Mountain Dew flavor is because chances are it comes out, you have it in stock for like two days, and then everyone buys it up, and then you never restock it, and then the next seven times I go to freaking 7-Eleven, all you got is Diet Mountain Dew and regular Mountain Dew, and then maybe Zero Sugar Mountain Dew. And then after seven times of that, I come in, and you got a brand new flavor that I've never tried, and then I try it one time, and then rinse, repeat, the cycle goes on and on, and it's just... I'm getting older, guys. I need you, I need you to bear with me, okay, Mountain Dew? I need you guys to go a little slower for me, for my old man fingers and tastes and, and, and all these. I don't even know what I'm saying. I just need you to maybe slow down the pace of new Mountain Dew flavors. I can I can only do so much do, you know what I'm saying? That's it for what I've been eating, drinking, whatever, consuming in a more uh, uh, in a more uh, food-like sense. But as for what I've been playing, well, this past weekend I wrapped up Alan Wake, finished that motherfucker. So I, I beat Alan Wake. I played both the DLCs that came out uh, originally with the game that are included in the remastered, uh, which is like the writer and the signal, I believe, or what they were called. Um, and then I downloaded uh, Alan Wake American Nightmare, which is the spin-off Xbox Live Arcade 2012 little three-hour kind of like side game, so to speak, a little spin-off game. Um, I downloaded that on the Xbox Store. It does not I don't? It's kind of weird that they didn't include that in the remaster, but whatever. Ten bucks on uh, on the Xbox Store. And I downloaded that and played it as well, start to finish. So at this point, I've completed all the Alan Wake content that exists and am fully prepared for the release this this October of Alan Wake 2. So, um, yeah, my takeaway is Alan Wake is great. It's another example of Remedy just being the premier developer, in my opinion, of these like third-person action, heavily, heavily narrative-based games. I will say my my gripe with the first Alan Wake, which I got into a little bit last week, is I think some of those ending chapters just drag a little bit with the gameplay. I think the the gameplay loop of the first Alan Wake gets a little old after a while. It gets a little stale. It's very unique. It's very fun, but it does get um, it does get a little a little old after a while. Um, both DLCs are are completely fine and fun and serviceable. It's a nice little extra, but nothing groundbreaking. Uh, but overall, Alan Wake one, big fan, big thumbs up. Um, I definitely think Remedy go on to outdo themselves when they made um, Quantum Break in 2016, a few years after Alan Wake. But Alan Wake is certainly a very, very, very excellent Xbox 360 exclusive game that I highly recommend. Now, as for American Nightmare, the spinoff 2012 Xbox Live Arcade release, this game is uh, way cooler and more fun and, and, and just awesome than it has any right to be. I love everything about this game. You don't have to play this game to understand Alan Wake or Alan Wake 2. It is basically just fully a spin-off title unrelated, but boy, if you played Alan Wake or you're looking forward to playing Alan Wake 2, I think you'd be crazy to sleep on American Nightmare. It is so fucking good. It's about three hours long, and it's it's one of those very, very clever, excellent use of limited resources kind of little side games like kind of like far cry 3 blood dragon where it's just like man you guys did such an amazing job of just reusing assets and making a really excellent three-hour experience that's going to make for a really excellent saturday afternoon and and that's exactly what american nightmare is where it's uh alan wake's friend his publisher or his uh his manager i guess is like in i guess like the middle of nowhere nevada or something like that and he's just at a in a, like a Route 66 type roadside motel, and he's just 
falls asleep with the TV on and it's playing Night Springs, which is like the in-universe version of like basically the Twilight Zone uh, TV show. And um, he like falls asleep with that playing in the background. And then he has like a, a dream, a nightmare about his uh, his friend Alan Wake. And like he's in the show and it's, it's, it's super goofy and super fun and it's awesome. So you get to play as Alan Wake in the middle of like this Arizona desert and uh, – they add a bunch more weapon types, a bunch more enemy types that really spruce up and fine-tune the combat of the first game. So whereas at the end of Alan Wake, I was getting a little a little bored with the kind of surface-level combat loop. With American Nightmare, it was like, dude, it was absolutely the, the shake-up that the combat loop needed to, to make everything feel fresh and fun again. Even though I was literally 12 hours removed from having completed Alan Wake in all of its DLC, somehow jumping into American Nightmare just 12 hours later felt super fresh and unique and fun just because they did that great a job um, over the two years between the first Alan Wake and this and this uh, spinoff game of just really iterating on and fine-tuning that gameplay loop, that combat, that moment-to-moment gameplay feel. American Nightmare, you know, despite obviously looking and feeling older just by way of being a 2012 Xbox Live Arcade game, whereas Alan Wake Remaster is a remaster of a 2010 game that came out a year ago, two years ago. Uh, still, I would say American Nightmare somehow, despite looking older, feels a little more modern and playable in my in my opinion. I think it holds up really, really well and... Um, I don't know, I, I highly recommend it. It's got fun story, really wacky, weird, creepy characters. I love the the universe of Alan Wake. It's not scary by any means, but it's definitely eerie and spooky feeling. And it's uh, it's just such a cozy fall time game. And I, I can't wait to play Alan Wake 2 when it's fresh and brand new. And it's it's the middle of the Halloween season. It's it's actually the height of the Halloween season. It comes out. And it's just it's going to be so nice to be in those those few weeks leading up to Halloween with a brand new Alan Wake adventure and be able to just experience it as it's coming out, as it's brand new, as it's fresh. And I'm so looking forward to it. I love Remedy. I really liked Alan Wake. And I'm really excited to see, you know, they've, got, they've come so far since these old Alan Wake games with... With Quantum Break having far superior gunplay, Quantum Break having far superior storytelling and live action um, uh, cutscenes and things like that, and video in it, uh, with with uh, Control having far superior gun gunplay and gameplay overall compared to Alan Wake, and I'm just really excited to see them take all that they've learned in these ten plus years since the first Alan Wake and apply it to this sequel because. Oh, God, it's going to be so good. And they're talking about leaning a little bit more into it being horror-esque as opposed to the first game being a little more just uh, tonal and eerie. So I'm really excited to see what that's like as well. But Alan Wake, I'm a believer. I'm on board. Fan. Love it. Can't wait for more. That's the main thing I've been playing. The other thing I've been playing, just a little dabbling. I played some, you know, other things like Modern Warfare 2 that no one wants to hear about. But I've been dabbling in Halo Infinite's Season 4 content, which came out last week uh, after a 56 gigabyte update or something like that. I was finally able to play this. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be, I'm not a downer. I'm not down on this content. I think what they present here is great. Actually, one thing I want to give Season 4 straight off the bat, uh, right off the bat, credit for, which I don't see a lot of people talking about, is that the new maps, while there aren't many of them, the new maps are aesthetically very, very different from what most of Halo Infinite has been thus far. Halo Infinite has almost exclusively been like, here's some vague, boring Forerunner structure, blah. Or, you know, some freaking Pacific Northwest, foresty, whatever, blah. But the new maps, they add, they add a little bit more flair, a little bit more color, a little bit more diversity in the aesthetic, and I'm into them. So shout out to the maps. They look cooler. Um, they feel a little bit more like Halo 2-like to me, 
And uh, shout out to the infection mode. You can tell they put a lot of care and attention to detail and like how they kind of make it make sense in universe and like the different uh, aesthetic aesthetic cues and things like that. So I'm a fan. I, I like what they did. It, it looks cool. Feels good. But I don't know. I played like two matches of infected and then I played like one match of regular matchmaking like Slayer or something. And I was like, I I actually just just don't want to play Halo Infinite. Nothing against the game. I love that they fixed the ranking system. I ranked up a couple times. I'm like, yes, this is the ranking I wish this game had from the get. And I don't know. It's like the new maps look good. Uh, it's great to have Infected here. Um, I'm a little bummed out that they don't have a new playlist dedicated just to the new maps because I don't want to play Slayer and just constantly get other maps I played a million times before. But I don't know. It's just there's something about it where it's like this game has objectively gotten better and better and better. But I... I have a bad taste in my mouth with Halo Infinite, and I'm not 100% sure why. I, I loved the campaign when it came out. Um, I thought the foundation of the multiplayer was great. I think people were a little overreactive about how much they hated certain things about it and how upset they were about ah, online co-op. Ah, it has to a ah, split-screen co-op. I need it. It needs to be like 2001 again. I, I don't know. Like I get the complaints and all that, but at the same time, I feel like there's just so much toxicity surrounding Halo Infinite. Like, it, it was it was pretty fine at launch. It was definitely missing a lot at launch. And then they started to, to get me a little bit as it's like, oh yeah, we're like, everyone's quitting, now everyone's getting laid off, now we're canceling the live service model, now we're canceling the story expansion content, now we're canceling the cutscenes in the multiplayer. And the game is still fun, but every time I boot it up, I just feel a little burnt on the game. I just feel, I feel burnt out. I feel bad taste in my mouth. I just... I just don't feel great about Halo Infinite. And it's weird because I know I know back in the day people complained about Halo 5 not having enough content at launch. I never had that problem. I know Forge came a little later and some, some modes came a little later. But I feel like Halo 5 had a great campaign that had a clear ending point that, that tipped you off to Halo 6 is going to be fucking fire. Let's go. And then Halo 5 had a pretty robust multiplayer core multiplayer experience and then they had that big warzone game which is a great brand new third pillar to the game i feel like i had a lot to do and play with halo 5 and i just i didn't get bored of it that first year but with halo with that was halo 5 but with halo infinite i just i feel like i definitely got my money's worth my time's worth out of it you know i definitely pumped 100 hours plus into the game i loved the campaign when i played it the, the first time and uh i've enjoyed the, the multiplayer extensively so value achieved experience enjoyed halo infinite overall pretty good game but just the visceral the toxicity surrounding it the the behind the scenes going ons with 343 and all that it's just i just feel completely exhausted when i think of halo and it's sad because i want to be like here in the moment enjoying like forgetting all that stuff and just enjoying that we got some new halo content to enjoy but honestly if I'm looking to dick off in just some stupid mindless multiplayer right now, the game that I feel like is serving me well and not making me feel burnt in any way or exhausted or fatigued is Modern Warfare 2. And I, I hate I hate saying that. Listen, I, I you got to understand, I hate myself for saying that because I want to be here saying, I don't care about Call of Duty. Halo Infinite's got more more maps, more modes and stuff, but... I don't care. <laughs> I just, I just rather go play some Modern Warfare 2 at this point. Uh, it's another game the community is just so toxic about. But say what you fucking will, man. Modern Warfare 2 has been great. I love Modern Warfare 2. Badass campaign, excellent multiplayer, great progression. Skins are fun to unlock in that game. Seasonal content's been consistent, fun, interesting. Some of the maps have been a little weak, but they're getting better. Um, you know, in terms of like new maps being added to the game. 
Uh, fucking raids in that game are so good. I don't know, man. I, people are so down on Modern Warfare 2, and I can't even begin to understand why. I think it's I think it's just so so much fun. I'm still loving it, but whatever, man. That's um, teach their own. Halo Infinite, I appreciate you for being there, for still going on and persisting despite all that's happened to you, but I feel like I'm good. I feel like I just I feel like I don't need to be there right now. And maybe, you know, we talked about Firefight a minute ago. Maybe Firefight will change that. I hope it does. But at least for right now, I'm just I'm good. I'm full. Alan Wake 2, though. I'll be coming for you. You look damn fine. All right, that's it for what I've been playing. You guys, let's uh, let's take a quick chug of water, a deep breath, uh, check our phones, see if anyone's texted us, just to realize, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, when we'll get into the news, talk about the 57 freaking FTC versus Microsoft stories. So let's go. All right, we are back. Let's just jump right into this beast. While I took a quick break there, I checked my phone to see if anything had developed, and yes, it had. Uh, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella is here talking to the FTC and literally quoted saying, if it was up to me, I would love to get rid of the entire exclusives on console. That's not for me to define, especially as a low share player in the console market. The dominant player there, Sony, has defined the market competition using exclusives. So that's the world we live in. I have no love for that world. Okay, that's a little bit of, that's that's jumping over a little bit where we are. I'm going to read these kind of in the order that they've happened over the past week, but that's I mean, that's some corporate PR bullshit talk because Microsoft absolutely has mostly operated in that way until very recently. And the only reason they don't want to operate in that way is because they are not winning and cannot find a clear path to victory in that way. But, hey, that's how corporations work is you just pretend like you're the good guy and like everyone else is the bad guy because you're doing right by consumers or something like that. I don't know. It's kind of cringy. It's kind of weird. We got a lot of that stuff coming up, but we also have a lot of juicy, juicy details coming through leaked emails and things of that nature. So let's just jump in right now. So. A little bit, I try, I try to add some organization. So what I've done here is I've written some excerpts to kind of link story to story to story, add some kind of flow and, and coherency to all of this. And in addition to that, this is a stitched together and um, all the just fucking hodgepodge of Forbes, VGC, Windows Central, all, I think that's the main sources, and or The Verge, of course. The Verge is a huge part of this. Verge, Windows Central, VGC, and Forbes. And I'm just kind of stitching it all together, writing little excerpts, deleting things that are redundant, trying to make it so that it all kind of blends together. But we got basically 17 points of conversation to have here, and let's just get right into it. So I wrote, Microsoft's battle with the Federal Trade Commission, or the FTC, has kicked off this week. And with it, we're getting tons of news our pedestrian ears would otherwise never be pervy to. As the week has progressed, we've seen stories come out ranging from Sony's disdain for Game Pass and all Xbox is doing uh, to the games industry, as well as internal documents at Microsoft laying out studios and publishers that they have been eyeing as potential acquisition targets, with much more in the mix. There's really no pretty and clean way to present this stuff, so let's just work in the order in which the stories are rolling out, taking time in between news bites to digest and dissect what all were working through here. So first one here comes from Forbes. This is part one of 17. I'm not even joking. I swear to God, I wish I was. But part one of 17 comes from Forbes. It says, a new load of documents have made their way into the public as a result of the FTC Microsoft hearing on Activision Blizzard's acquisition. This time, rather than some gotcha moment for Sony, there are some particularly not great ones for Microsoft here. One that stands out in particular is from February 22, an email exchange between Pete Hines, Todd Howard of Bethesda, uh, and other Bethesda executives questioning why Microsoft was going so hard on the idea of Call of Duty remaining multi-platform while Bethesda big games like Starfield, Elder Scrolls 6, etc. would be left as Xbox exclusives. Quote, 
I'm confused, Pete Hines said. Is the below Microsoft statement about Call of Duty multi-platform not in opposite to what we were just asked, parentheses told, to do with our own titles? What's the difference? Did anyone at Xbox think that giving us a heads up uh, on this... Todd's going to DICE in a couple weeks. DICE is an industry convention. You don't think some journalist might find him and press him on why the below is okay for COD or Activision or Blizzard games, but not the Elder Scrolls or Starfield or any event or future interview he does? So to clarify, this is an email chain between Pete Hines and some other execs at, at Bethesda. What he's basically saying is this is back in this is back earlier in 2022, so this is very shortly after. This is like a week or two, a couple weeks after the announcement of Microsoft trying to acquire Activision when that bombshell was first dropped. Uh, basically, these newly minted Xbox teams, Bethesda and all the rest, basically going back and forth and being like, Microsoft is so confident and so firm and so vocal about keeping Call of Duty multi-platform and all that, but have they forgotten that they've been asking us behind the scenes to make our games exclusive for Xbox? And so there's a little confusion and frustration frustration there. And this is something we don't talk about a lot because because while we do talk about while we do talk about, you know, Xbox from a more like mechanical and unified perspective of like, well, yeah, they're gonna make games like Starfield you know, multi uh, or exclusive and games like Call of Duty multi-platform. We don't really talk about what this means internally as they acquire some studios and try to kind of mold them into the Xbox family while also other studios get like different rules because even though Microsoft, Phil Spencer in particular, very hands-off about the whole like, hey, make the games you want to make. We'll give you the autonomy. We'll try to be a little hands-off and laissez-faire because we want our creatives to be creative, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, there's no denying that. Sure, while that's great and that's well and that's a great big component of the whole process of game development, there's still you know the other part to contend with, which is like by growing and growing and acquiring all these teams and publishers, they're just taking all these cultures and kind of just pushing them all under one umbrella. And even though Microsoft, again, has reiterated multiple times that they like to try and keep the cultures independent, let these companies be themselves and not try to shoehorn them to become more Xbox, so to speak, it's, it's, it is true that there is going to be some changes and some felt differences as a result of being under the Xbox umbrella. And this is one of them. And so there's, you, you see that frustration. And I feel like this is something to clarify, which is that a lot of gamers, you know, console warriors and people like that get this like really silly impression. And I'm not trying to insinuate anyone here is that, but you know, it, it happens and you see a lot on the internet when you see console fanboys and, 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 and console warriors kind of having a go at this, this, these kinds of conversations where they kind of assume that it's like, Oh, Xbox, Xbox hates, uh, the last of us uh they hate it you know the guys at 343 they hate naughty dog because 343 is on team xbox and naughty dog's on team playstation it's like that's not really the truth i mean yeah the executives the 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 bean counters the 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 investors they might they might dislike the competition but you know the people boots on the ground developing the games you know the people working at naughty dog or sony santa monica or the coalition or 343 or bethesda most of these people are like normal well-adjusted human beings that are much like most normal well-adjusted gamers who are like yeah i don't necessarily like get my fucking you know get off on this notion of withholding content from certain players because they're not on the quote-unquote correct gaming platform so most publishers and developers you would assume would dream of and want their games to be accessible and playable by all because well multiple reasons especially if you're third party like bethesda was or like activision currently still is um the more platforms your game is on the more potential to sell the game you there is so the more money you can make so that's a huge incentive and then also if you're a developer like 
and you're making a video game, I don't know, let's say you're a developer working on Starfield, regardless of whether that original behind-the-scenes conversation with Sony and Bethesda came to fruition and Starfield ended up being somewhat exclusive or timed exclusive on PlayStation, whether or not that happened or whether the game just stayed completely agnostic and multi-platform as was originally going to be the case or whether you get the outcome that we got in the, in the long run that we're at today where Starfield is an Xbox exclusive, regardless of which one of those realities happens right if you're just joe schmo i'm some art asset designer on on fucking starfield or better yet you're like a you're like a you're like a narrative director on 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 starfield right you're someone super heavily invested in the world of this of this game that you're creating it stands to reason that you probably want your game to be as accessible to as many people as possible because the more people that can play your game the more people can experience this work of art, this creative passion, this this labor that you poured into this title. That's a good. That's a good thing if you're a creative person. Um, it's kind of like if you're not a crazy person, you know, you can still like Xbox or prefer Xbox over Nintendo or PlayStation or whatever. But you know, you probably want people to be able to in, enjoy life and enjoy video games. And so that's 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 all it is. There's a little consternation because I'm pretty sure a lot of people at Bethesda would like for their games to be accessible to more people. Because that's what normal people want, you know. Maybe some higher ups at Microsoft or some investors or whatever don't want that to be the case because there's a incentive involved in keeping a game like Starfield exclusive to Xbox, which is that someone deciding between an Xbox Series X and a PS5 might skew Xbox if that awesome new looking Starfield game is only on Xbox. But you know, a game like Call of Duty would significantly be hurt by not having a huge player base to penetrate its live service type model. So different games require different strategies, but it does become a little bit of like a why are there rules for thee and not for me sort of deal. Why do some publishers get a treatment that other publishers don't? And that would be frustrating, you know? You, you got to think about like, I don't know, like wouldn't it be kind of – console exclusivity is a really weird thing that exists. And it's just so normalized because it's been that way ever since Atari and NES and all that shit. So we don't think about it. But it is weird, right? Like, I don't know, if you're if you're a musician – you don't want to go, oh, man, my new record is only available on iPod. I hope everyone with a Zune, everyone with a generic MP3 player, I hope they never hear my music because they're not worthy of hearing my new album. I only want iPod, iPod owners to, you know, my new album is exclusive to Spotify. And I think Spotify does do things like that actually nowadays now that I think about it. But, like, I don't know, that's fucking weird. Don't you, if you wrote a song, don't you want the fucking world to be able to hear it? Don't you want to get your song out there for people to enjoy? Like... So <clears throat> I think this kind of internal consternation comes from a place like that where Bethesda has operated independently for so fucking long under Zenimax, you know, and they've been agnostic. They were very PC centric, then they were very PC and Xbox centric, and then they eventually grew to include PlayStation and hell in more recent years, they've even grown to include Xbox a little or uh, Nintendo a little bit with things like Skyrim on Switch. So, you know, it sucks when you're used to being able to make a game that can penetrate a massive market and many people can enjoy your game. And now you are just uh, limiting your, your market for arbitrary reasons like exclusive game sell consoles. I mean, that's not arbitrary if you're Xbox, right? You know, if you're Phil Spencer, you're doing your job. By getting a game like Starfield ex exclusive, you're doing your job. You're getting more eyes on Xbox. You're getting Xbox a big old W, right? But if you're Bethesda, if you're that art designer or that narrative director on Starfield, you don't give a shit about that. What you want is people to play and enjoy your game. And you lose a lot of that when Microsoft says, hey, your game's going to be exclusive because that benefits console sales. Who gives a shit? So, I don't know, just, just a... 
it's just important that you keep in mind that just because everyone's on the same team doesn't mean everyone has the same motivations and desires and incentives in mind because, I don't know, man, if I were working on a game, I love Xbox. I don't want to buy a PS5 just because I just there's enough on Xbox to keep me busy and it's just too much work to keep up with more consoles. But if I were a game developer and I were making a game, I'd want that thing on everything. I'd want that game to run on a fucking toaster because the more people that can play my game, the more I can get my, my project out there and the more hopefully I can, you know, please and, and entertain people with, with my, the, the, you know, the fruits of my labor. So I don't know. It just makes sense to me. Right. So nice little nugget there for sure. Uh, some internal boiling. If, if you know, you ask me, it seems like Pete Hines is a little peed off. Although keep in mind, this email is a year and a half old. So not to say necessarily that his position has changed, but it, it just goes to show, man, like what the thing Xbox is doing, it's, it's fracturing. It's divisive. It's a lot, you know, what Sony does. Yeah, sure. Sony does exclusive games, but Sony has historically worked with very, very close studios over and over again, time and time again. They only do exclusive games, all these things. So it just kind of has always historically worked for them. But when you're just like buying fucking publishers and developers off the shelf that historically are not part of your team and then making them be part of your team, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of clashing of ideology and things like that. So it happens. Now, now we're going to see this continue to just evolve and just go nuts as, as time goes on because Microsoft has absolutely just broken down the walls of as to how the games industry has worked and always worked, and they're kind of completely thrown the rules out the window. And it's funny because, like I was saying earlier, it's like I, I know as people who pay attention to video games and pay attention to the industry, we all understand why these things work without any actual like definition or clear, concise way to to justify why things work the way they work like we know games like halo have to be only on xbox and we know games like mario has to be only on nintendo because that's the way it's always been and that's how you that's how nintendo sells switches that's how xbox sells xboxes but um it doesn't really make sense for anyone else involved just just those guys right so it's interesting and we're gonna see this get played around with a lot more and more and more you know i mean sony's starting to put some of their games on pc Nintendo's going to fucking probably never do any of that. Microsoft is, you know, doing everything on PC and willing to put some games on PlayStation and all these things, depending on what kind of game it is and who they acquire and the history of the game. And we're just going to see this get more and more weird. And these, these kind of conventional rules get bent more and more and more. So it's going to be interesting. So part two, and we're going to have to move a little faster than that, but part two, uh, a little bit from The Verge, a little bit from IGN, a little bit from VGC, but Microsoft has argued during their opening this week, during the uh, FTC hearing, that Xbox has lost the console wars and its rivals are positioned to continue to dominate. Other documents shared by IGN describe that Microsoft's previous consoles were, sorry, with similar negative language. The company claimed that the original Xbox console was outsold by both Sony and Nintendo by a significant margin and claimed that it hasn't stopped losing the console wars ever since. Xbox's consoles consistently ranked third of the three behind PlayStation and Nintendo sales during or, or, every generation. Documents revealed in 2021, Xbox had a shared 16%, a uh, 16% share of the market, while Nintendo and PlayStation had shares of redacted and redacted respectively. Well, let me stop there real quick. Say calculator, 100%. Microsoft has 16% of the market. That means there's 84% left of the market to go around. I don't know, man. With PlayStation and Nintendo, how does that work? Because Switch is outsold. Switch is outselling PS4 at this point, and it's definitely outsold PS5 because PS5 has been on the market way less time. I don't know. If you want to just play it kind of general, kind of clean, and do 50-50 or something like that, you know, you could say PlayStation has... 40-something percent, low 40s. Nintendo has low 40s, maybe 42, 43% each. And Xbox has 16% of the market. 
That's 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 being dwarfed by comparison. That's a lot. <laughs> likewise, you know, they redacted, of course, because boo. Uh, but quote, likewise for console revenue and shares of the company of the console currently in use by gamers. Install base Xbox trails with 21% while PlayStation and Nintendo have shares of redacted and redacted respectively. So they were talking about console sales with the 16 versus the 42 and 42%. Now they're talking about uh, console revenue and they're at 21%. So that's good. To be at 21% means that Xbox consoles are currently selling at a faster clip uh, compared to where the, the lifetime sales generally sit at. But still, I mean, that means, you know, roughly 40% each for the other guys in terms of how they're selling. So not good. Microsoft argues that now is a now they're betting on a different strategy, however, by generating profit through sales and accessories rather than console sales. And that's Game Pass and things like that. The argument was made as part of Microsoft's defense against a preliminary injunction brought on by the FTC, which is seeking to pause the Xbox firm's proposed Activision deal ahead of its critical date of July 18th, after which parties could renegotiate. So... We're getting very, very close to when it's going to be decision time. And this is kind of how Xbox chose to open up the whole ordeal is by saying, hey, we're in a bad position. We're in third place. So let let me lay the precedent by saying everything we discuss this next week or so, just keep in mind, we're like getting clobbered out there. So yeah, this is a huge acquisition, but we're the little guys. That's basically kind of what they're trying to set the stage with. It's good PR. Next up, VGC <clears throat> says the Activision Blizzard CEO, Bobby Kotick, has demanded a greater share of Call of Duty sales in order to bring the blockbuster series to Xbox Series S and X. So not only is Xbox significantly dwarfed by PlayStation and Nintendo in the market, but they're also having to pay more to get support and and, and, and um, attention from, from companies like Activision for games like Call of Duty. That's according to Xbox corporate VP Sarah Bond, who was giving evidence on Thursday, last Thursday, during the court battle. In the run-up to the Xbox Series S and X launch in 2020, Sarah Bond claimed that Activision boss Kodak demanded an improvement of the industry's dominant revenue split model, which sees a platform holder cut of 30% of software sales for the consoles and remaining 70% going to the publishers. So for those who don't know, that is generally the rule of thumb for how it goes on most platforms for most software sales, which is you buy a game on the Xbox marketplace, Microsoft gets 30% of that cut, and the remaining 70% goes to the publisher. So you buy Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on the Xbox store, Microsoft gets 30%, Activision gets 70%. You buy, you know, uh, Gran Turismo on your PlayStation 5, Sony gets 100% of that because they own that. That's the first part. That's a terrible example. You buy Final Fantasy 7 or Final Fantasy 7 or 16 is the new one. Final Fantasy 16 on your PlayStation 5. Well, Square Enix gets 70%. Sony gets 30%. So that is where, I mean, that's the whole point of these business models. That's why any of these companies make consoles in the in, in, in the first place because historically, you don't make money off the console. You make money off of this shit, off the, off the game sales. So that's why, you know, Nintendo's a little different. They mostly make money off everything because they're Nintendo. But, you know, Sony, Xbox, the name of the game isn't to sell consoles because consoles Consoles are profitable. You sell consoles because the more people who are ingratiated in your market buy games on your console, and then they get a 30% cut of everyone else's games, and then if they make killer apps or first-party games, it draws people to your console over the competition, and you get 100% of the profits of your games, although, you know, sunken development costs, so not exactly, but you get the idea. So that is kind of the way of the land, how it's always worked. However, with Activision leading up to the launch of the new Xbox consoles, Activision refused to start using Microsoft's next-gen development kits until a deal was struck. So during the development of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, they were basically developing the game for PS5 using the test kits for the console before it was even launched, released or, or launched. And for Xbox, they're like, uh-uh, we're not going to work on your Series S and X test kits until the platform holder Microsoft accepts Activision's new demands, which are basically that 
when you uh, sell a Call of Duty game on Xbox, instead of the Xbox getting 30% of the sale, they get only 20%, so Activision can get 80%. And basically the idea being that we make so much more money on, on PlayStation because they're so much bigger than you that we want to get a bigger cut out of you to kind of, you know, inflate our numbers on your platform and get more revenue out of out of Xbox since you guys just do so little. And obviously since Xbox is in a weaker position in terms of market share and, and leverage and all that, they basically had to agree. So Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War rev- or development started later on Xbox because Bobby Kotick and Activision twisted their arm and said, we want a better deal, basically, which is absolutely hilarious. I mean, it's it's crazy shit. You know, we're in the middle of watching Microsoft try to buy Activision. And a couple of these stories show just how fucking like schemy and slimy and businessy Activision can be. I mean, hey, they're good at what they do. Bobby Kotick's good at his job. He's a piece of shit, but he's good at his job. And this is kind of an example of that just, like, slimy business shit, you know? That's that's business. You know, it's Microsoft's money at the end of the day. Who cares, right? Uh, But anyway, continuing on, Sony Interactive Entertainment recently said that it would withhold details. You know, speaking of of not developing on Xbox consoles, they said they would withhold details about their next console, hypothetical PlayStation 6, from Activision, the Call of Duty maker, if they were to get acquired by by Microsoft. So during a, a deposition in... April, Sony Interactive Entertainment boss Jim Ryan told the FTC that the company's past collaborations with Activision led to the development of better features for the PlayStation consoles that helped the hardware stand out from the competition. But were Activision to be purchased by Activision, by Microsoft, the partnership would be lost. They said that they wouldn't trust Microsoft and that they basically would withhold dev kits and test kits uh, until later just because they wouldn't want Microsoft getting hold of like their new next gen technology and being able to exploit that and, and get a leg up on the competition because you know obviously Microsoft owns Call of Duty Call of Duty developers need to have PlayStation 6 units hypothetically in their hands well before the console ever comes out and they just don't feel comfortable with releasing that which is of course another one of those PR kind of like feign for attention kind of moves because already you know Xbox developers get access to this stuff like Mojang when they make Minecraft. But speaking of Minecraft, actually, in a heavily redacted section of Jim Ryan's discussion with the FTC, the executive suggests that Sony's experience with working with Minecraft maker Mojang uh, after Microsoft acquired that studio back in 2014 gave the company cause for concern about doing likewise with Activision, which is what sparks this whole thing to begin with. Sony said previously that Microsoft could uh, release a downgraded version of Call of Duty for PlayStation consoles should it acquire Activision, but claims that the Xbox maker has rejected. Now, we all know this is absolute dog shit, bullshit, poopy shit, boo-boo, but because look at Minecraft on the PS5, look at Minecraft on the Series X, look at Minecraft on the PS4, on the Nintendo Switch, on the fucking Wii U for Christ's sakes. All of these iterations of Minecraft have been released during the time where Minecraft was owned and Minecraft was owned by Microsoft. And guess what? Minecraft works like a fucking dream on all these platforms. In fact, when Xbox made new Minecraft games that didn't have to be on other platforms like, I don't know, Minecraft Dungeons or Minecraft Legends, those games came to PlayStation anyway. So this is a lot of boy that cried wolf, PlayStation being cucky. And this is not a console war approach, just to reiterate. I'm not saying, oh, PlayStation bad, Xbox good. It's just, God, it's it's so obvious that they're just doing their their obligation, their job as a competitor to Microsoft. I get why they do it and I don't, I don't begrudge them, but of just trying to, you know, sabotage this deal any way they can by just saying anything, anything they can using any bit of ammo they have doesn't matter. And it's just some of it is just uh, it's so cringe. It's so petty. It's so not true. And it's so obvious for us to look at it and see that because I mean, come the fuck on, man. <laughs> like 
they have cause for concern that Microsoft would sabotage Call of Duty on PlayStation if they were to own it. Yeah? Who would that benefit? Exactly. Shut the fuck up. You know you're lying. All right, continuing on. Thanks to court documents, this is me. Uh, thanks to court documents, it appears that we have some further insight possibly into what the interactive, into what IO Interactive could be working on for their rumored Xbox exclusive as originally reported by Jez Corden of Windows Central and now followed up by that same source. So from Windows Central, we have the following. This is about IO Interactive. And there's going to be a little bit of jump. I try to make these as smooth and seamless and transitional as possible, but it's going to jump around a little bit. These are just all the little uh, insider things we got from this uh, from this court hearing. This isn't all going to blend in perfectly one thing to another. But from Windows Central, Jez Corden says, and this is in his words exactly, a few years ago, I revealed Project Dragon exclusivity, sorry, exclusively here on Windows Central. The project is or was a development of IO Interactive, the makers of Hitman. Now, for the first time, we have public confirmation that Microsoft has the game that, that Microsoft from Microsoft that the game is not only real, but at least at one point was an Xbox exclusive, possibly still is part of the trench of communique, whatever that means, detailing studios. Microsoft was interested in acquiring one document outlines the properties being worked on by IO Interactive. One such studio Microsoft was interested in picking up at one point within the document is unmistakably a code name for Project Dragon. Per the previous information on Windows Central, Project Dragon took cues from the likes of World of Warcraft, Diablo, and Dark Fantasy RPG is a Dark Fantasy RPG with service game online components. Last year, IO Interactive went public with the title of codename Project Fantasy, which at least on surface would appear to be a new codename for Project Dragon. Project Fantasy has no confirmed platforms yet, but is also unconfirmed whether or not it's actually Project Dragon or not. The documents from 2021, so potentially it raises more questions than answers. Is Project Dragon indeed Project Fantasy? Did they swap code names to the previous leak? If so, is Project Fantasy still an Xbox exclusive? Did the game get canceled or is it reworked? Similar, how is Blizzard's Project Titan going to get reworked into Overwatch? Right now, one can only guess. Ha ha, a little harm, a little charm, a little humor at the end there. All right. Um, so, yeah, that's another little bit we got. So, it looks like IO Interactive either at one point was or possibly still is making this this game, this Project Dragon title, an Xbox exclusive. And as we'll get into in a little bit, IO Interactive was one of the teams Microsoft was looking at one point of courting and possibly acquiring. So, this is another, like, hmm, we'll have to follow up on that one as we learn more in the future. Now, continuing on, concerns of what Xbox's intentions were regarding Sony began to heat up, however, when the following information was revealed. Again, from Windows Central, a particularly fascinating piece of evidence in the hearing involves a 2019 mail exchange between Matt Booty and the head of Xbox Game Studios and CFO Tim Stewart about how the company can compete against Sony through aggressive Game Pass acquisitions. And according to, Bo to Booty, Microsoft was in a very unique position to be able to outspend Sony. Now, this is a quote the internet's been melting down over, and we talked about it a little bit last week, where if you are a major competitor, yeah, you probably want to destroy your competition. I'm sure McDonald's would love to beat Burger King, and they are. I'm sure they'd love to beat Burger King to the point where Burger King doesn't exist anymore. Good news for McDonald's, Burger King is struggling. Uh, Target's great. We all love Target. Everyone in the U.S. who has access to Target. I think Canada, you do or did at one point have access to Target. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about. But Target is a great supermarket. Uh, I, I'm sure Walmart would love to destroy Target. Uh, because why the fuck would you care if they exist or not? Their existence is competition. So yeah, these are corporations. They're not supposed to be like classmates who have a mutual respect for one another. They're supposed to be fucking arch enemies because they're a bunch of old white dudes in suits that make a lot of money. Like, I don't understand why people are like, gasp. Matt Booty says that they could spend Sony out of business. That's, that's terrifying. It's like, okay, 
what coming from the same kids like celebrating the death of people in a submarine last week like what the fuck you guys want man like they're a corporation their objectives to make money and be better than the competition when you what do you expect? So I think there's a lot to do about nothing, the, 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 the heating up of the quote. But yes, the quote is from December of 2019, so a long-ass time ago. And Matt Booty kind of defends the statement by saying that was an old strategy. We don't really stand by those comments anymore. That's not really, you know, we've we've reversed course our actions in our in our plan for the platform going forward. Um, that's not really like where we're at at this point. In fact, an official Microsoft spo- spokesperson said Microsoft has provided uh, that the email is three and a half years old and the it predates the announcement of the Activision act- acquisition by 25 months. So it refers to industry trends of the time that were never actually pursued in our completely unrelated to what's going on with Activision to this day, and that's just not where they're at. So, you know, of course they can say that, PR, whatever, say whatever you need to say to defend yourself, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure Xbox did want to spend Sony out of business because they have Microsoft money and they can afford to do that. I'm sure they did want to acquire all the best talent out there and make PlayStation look like shit by comparison. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So, I don't know, if you're Phil Spencer, if you're Matt Booty, and Satya Nadella says, here's a blank check, spend all of Microsoft's money, do whatever you want, make Xbox the best. And the government says, we don't regulate anymore because we don't care, which is kind of half what they already do. Yeah, I mean, fucking sure, buy every fucking developer and publisher out there that isn't already owned by Sony, I guess. And then uh, I guess buy PlayStation while you're at it because you can. They can't afford to outspend Sony, spend Sony out of business, so to speak. So that's back in a time where, and we talked about it on the podcast a lot back in those days, how Microsoft was really mostly focused on Tencent, Google, Amazon, these guys becoming huge players in the gaming space with cloud streaming and things like that. And I think they're still a little weary about these. And they even quote, they even said in the email that they're afraid of Sony or Amazon or someone becoming the Disney of games where they own all the valuable content and that they want to staff up and, and, and beef up their portfolio and get big before it's too late, which... Yeah, I mean, if you're, again, if you're a corporation, that's kind of your obligation is to beat out the fucking competition. So I don't understand what all the consternation's about. Sounds like a corporate suit said a corporate suit thing, and it was kind of within reason of what, you know, his job is all about. So, yeah. It's not like he said, I'm going to go over there and fucking push my thumbs through Jim Ryan's eyes until he bleeds to death. It's not like that's what the email said. It said, we're going to fucking kick Sony's ass and, and out spend him out of business if, if we can. Yeah. You don't think Hershey would like to do that to Nestle? No chance. Nestle's bigger than you know. Watch the company, man. You'll know what I'm talking about. All right. Next up, we move on to The Verge. I wrote here as a little preamble. It appears that Microsoft do indeed have big plans to spend in order to remain competitive in the market, despite the shift in market trends. In fact, some some internal documents revealed some of the talents that Xbox had been eyeing or considering as they continue growing their portfolio. From The Verge, Microsoft was looking to acquire both Bungie and Sega. This is the big, hot, sexy one. Microsoft was looking to acquire both Bungie and Sega, according to internal documents from the FTC versus Microsoft hearing. In an email seen by The Verge, Xbox chief Phil Spencer wrote to both Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and Microsoft CFO Amy Hood, requesting a strategy approval to approach Sega Sammy over the potential acquisition of Sega Gaming Studios. Sega Sammy is the parent company that owns Sega. They got uh, gobbled up and acquired by Sega Sammy back in the days when they got out of the console business. Quote, we believe that Sega has built a well-balanced portfolio of games across segments of global uh, geographic appeal, and that will help us accelerate Xbox Game Pass on both on and off console, Phil Spencer said in that 2020 email. Microsoft believes the Sega acquisition would drive Game Pass subscriptions across co- across console, cloud, and PC. 
The global appeal of Sega's beloved IP, they say, quote, will help expand Game Pass's reach to new audiences around the world, most notably in Asia, where localized content is critical to success, said Spencer in a pitch to Nadella and Hood at the time. Sega would also offer game transactional value for monetization opportunities in the future. It's not clear yet what would have happened with a Sega acquisition and whether Nadella ultimately approved the talks. But in a Microsoft internal April 2021 merger review document, Sega was still listed as a key target. So that's a full year later. Microsoft had identified, well, actually, that was like six months later. Microsoft had identified key areas of acquisition for PC, mobile, and console across different mo- markets. And they said that Sega, Bungie, Zynga, and IO Interactive were part of a number of companies that Microsoft was seriously looking to acquire. Now, the list is like about 100 companies long, developers, publishers, whatever. But these were like the big ones. Bungie, Sega, Zynga, and IO Interactive. We just talked a little bit about IO Interactive, the Hitman makers working on this Project Dragon. We just we talked a little bit about Sega, which would be fucking awesome. I want to see I want to see Sonic be like, but Master Chief, Cortana's never gone because your friends will always be here. Isn't that right, Tails? And Tails will be like, that's right, Sonic. <laughs> Let's go stop Dr. Eggman. And I'll, everyone will be like, what the fuck is happening to Xbox? This is so lame. This sucks. This sucks. I hate this. I hate this. And I'll be there in a fetal position crying like, oh, my God, they're finally going to do the Sonic Unleashed Halo 3 crossover I've been waiting for ever since 2008. I'm so happy. I'm so cry. And I'm going to be fucking waddling like a baby. And it's going to be amazing. Then endless possibility written by written and performed by Jared Reddick, the lead vocalist of Bowling for Soup, who wrote some of the music for Sonic Unleashed, is going to come out there and sing Endless Possibility, and Master Chief's going to be like, this is fucking badass. He's going to put sunglasses over his fucking helmet, which is weird because it has a visor, so he doesn't need sunglasses. And then and then fucking Mario O'Donnell's going to come back to Bungie and be like, oops, you guys don't make Halo. Wrong studio. And then he's going to go over to 343, and he's going to work with 343 to make Halo Cross Sonic at the Olympic Games Fuck you, Nintendo. Mario is going to be dead because he's not going to be at these Olympic Games. And if you're not at the Olympics, you might as well be dead. And it's going to be fucking awesome. And this, But anyway, we're not there yet. So IO, we talked about him. Sega, we talked about him. Bungie, well, remember, this is 2021. Bungie was officially acquired by Sony in early 2022. So that's the one that got away. And if you remember, we talked about this back in the day that the rumors were that Microsoft was in talks with Bungie about acquiring them. They couldn't agree on money. So let me just read straight from here. Bungie, a now Sony-owned studio, was on that list with Microsoft's internal documents stating that the acquisition of Bungie would include securing valuable IP, like Destiny, and integration of its dev and live ops infrastructure into Xbox Game Studios, which is so funny because it seems like Microsoft identifies the same core asset as PlayStation, which is that integration of its development and live operations infrastructure, which is what Sony's really using Bungie for as well. Now, Microsoft seems to be a little more interested in Destiny, but still, it's, it's that it's that talent, it's that know-how, it's that live service skill, that live service skill that Bungie has. That's what everyone was after. But Microsoft had identified a high burn rate for risk for Bungie alongside NetEase's $100 million minority stake investment in 2018. Also noted that Destiny uh, was one of the highest hour-generated titles and console for game pass so it would have been a great get for them but also now they say a high burn rate risk i don't know if that means i i assume what that means is it would have been very costly for the amount of what they would have gotten out of it essentially which is that they think the value of bungie might not have been worth 
what Bungie was asking for because the rumors, you know, the reports and the rumors always said that the problem was Bungie was just too expensive and Microsoft wasn't willing to spend that money. PlayStation was, which is the funny part. And I think this is kind of an underlying thing if you want to have a separate conversation about why Microsoft needs to be a little more savvy sometimes because maybe spending more for Bungie might be more valuable than spending a fuck ton for Activision because, I don't know, Bungie might not have a whole lot of IP, but they sure do know a whole lot about what they're doing. I can tell you this much, Halo Infinite might have been a little bit smoother of a ordeal if you had someone like Bungie working on it. So, I don't know. What do I know? You know, maybe they weren't worth it, but... You had Bungie once, you let him get away, you shouldn't have done that, and now they're away forever because they were Sony, so we'll, we'll put it, we'll, you know, whatever, pour one out for the boys because that, that one, I'm not necessarily always for the corporate consolidation and all that, but the two that have always actually kind of hit me a little bit and made me a little bit of a hypocrite and want to care about this have always been Bungie and Sega because Bungie's Halo, Bungie's Xbox, Bungie kind of belongs back at Xbox, I want that in a way. And also because I, I, Sega, you know, just weird personal adoration for Sega and they fell out of the console space and they were closely tied with Microsoft and Xbox in a way is kind of the spiritual successor to Sega's home console business. So it'd be cool to see them kind of blend together and, and become one. And I just it, that's a weird personal one that I like that. But yeah, we're all hypocrites. Listen, shut up. I don't I don't love the acquisitions of mergers and consolidation of the market. But at the same time, I'd be lying if I said. Sega and Bungie becoming Xbox party uh, first party teams doesn't eh, excites me a little bit. Anyway, <clears throat> so we talked about Bungie, we talked about Sega, we talked about IO Interactive. Oh, actually, let's get back to IO Interactive real quick because the Hitman developer IO Interactive was also on that final watch list in 2021 alongside mobile companies like Thunderful, known for their SteamWorld games or the Gunk, Supergiant, which is known for Hades and the upcoming 33 Immortals, Niantic, Pokemon Go, Playrix, mobile developer, and Zanga, which Gross. Uh, Microsoft was in talks to acquire Zenga before they ultimately turned its attention, their, their attention over to Activision Blizzard for the mobile ambitions. So the whole point of Zenga was to eventually, uh, you know, to, to to grow their mobile efforts, which Phil Spencer and Xbox always talk about, especially in these court hearings. And we always kind of shrug it off and go, yeah, sure, that's what they want. They want Call of Duty, right? But no, it really is about mobile to the point where they were interested in buying Zenga. But as we all know, uh, Take-Two eventually went on to acquire Zenga. So Zenga got gobbled up by Take-Two. Bungie got gobbled up by Sony. Now all that's left from this real short list is Sega and IO Interactive. So what could that all be about? Continue on a little bit, diving in a little bit more with Zenga because that, there's a little bit more to say there from Windows Central. During the hearing period, Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer testified to Microsoft Council, uh, to Microsoft Council that prior to reaching a deal to acquire Activision Blizzard, Microsoft did indeed try to buy Zenga Zenga, the developer and publisher responsible for a number of mobile franchises like Farmville or Zenga Poker. Ultimately, the purchase didn't work out, and Microsoft eventually went uh, hunting for an even bigger mobile game to break into the market, which led to Activision. Quote, we have a lot of respect for the people at Zenga and what they've built, but we thought we needed to do something that was even bigger than what Zenga was. I think Zenga was a bad choice because even though Zenga is a big player and their games are persistent and important, it's just I feel like they don't do anything new. Whereas, like, at least with Activision, it's like, yeah, I get it. You want King and Candy Crush and all that and COD Mobile. But I feel like Activision still got some juice in them, you know? Like, they just did Diablo Immortals, and that's a huge fucking game. Like, they, they're still they're still doing things, you know? COD Mobile's relatively recent. Uh, King with uh, Candy Crush has been huge forever. Diablo Immortals huge. Warzone Mobile is on the way. So I feel like Activision's a little more, like, fresh and relevant. Whereas Zanga, it's like they're persistent, but they're not really doing anything new. They're just kind of 
continuing on with what they've already done. So I feel like that's a better route to go anyway. And also the Activision mobile efforts probably tie in more with what Xbox is traditionally known for more than like Zanga poker. So I don't know. Let's talk about because Zanga is so boring. No one gives a shit about Zanga. Let's talk about other teams. Microsoft consider purchasing at one point or another. We got two big ones to get into here. First one might knock your socks off, might blow you away, might shock you because Microsoft considered acquiring Square Enix as one of its Western and its Western studios, which were later sold to Embracer Group as of last year. Project Phoenix, as Microsoft referred to a potential bid, was driven by an incentive to grow Xbox's influence to the Asian market and acquire the South uh, and, and acquired Square Enix's biggest franchise of all, Final Fantasy, Dragon Age, and Kingdom Hearts. Ugh. Sorry, I had to throw over real quick. Microsoft was also incentivized by what it describes as a robust portfolio of mobile games at the Japanese firm, which believed could help drive Game Pass adoption on smart devices, of smart devices. Ultimately, the Square Enix acquisition interest seemingly did not progress. According to Microsoft's documents, its filtering process involved removing studios that failed to meet certain criteria, including lack of original IP, experience being a follower without innovation, or lack of cultural fit or maturity in business. So... Real quick stop. By their own metrics, by these these categories they do, uh, let's see, lack of original IP. I mean, uh, I, th- I think Square Enix has that. Experience being a, f- a follower without innovation. I don't know that I would say that about Square Enix. Lack of cultural fit or maturity in the business. Yeah, I think there's a huge lack of cultural fit with Square Enix. I think Square Enix is a absolute god-awful trash fit for Xbox from a cultural standpoint. Uh, not like because they're Japanese, but because like, Historically, Square Enix and Xbox have almost no history together. And then maturity in business, which is another weird one. Square Enix has been around in the game with Nintendo and Sony and with Japanese makers for so long. And there's just, I don't know, they, they've grown. Xbox and Square Enix have grown separate from each other for so long. Like, they've just done their own thing in their own way with their own platform. I don't know. This is a, this is a gross one to me because I always remember that Phil Spencer quote. From a couple years back, when in like the 2018, when like the initiative was formed and they they got double fine and and playground and all that shit, and they were talking about how Phil Spencer was saying directly, you know, we want to do acquisitions that make sense with Xbox, where there's a history or connection or relatable correlation. That's why things like Bungie and Sega make sense, you know, because it's like there is a, a history and a correlation and connection and involvement, you know. Sega, you know, Microsoft put Windows on the Dreamcast back in the day, and then a bunch of people who left Sega as they got out of the console space went on to go help form and create Xbox, and the early Xbox was heavily supported by Sega games, and, you know, in the in, in, in to this day when we see Japanese support on Xbox, it's predominantly from, like, Sega and Sega-owned teams like Atlas, so, like, there there is a strong history and link between a company like Sega and Microsoft. Without a doubt, the perfect Japanese company for Microsoft to acquire, to bring into the Xbox fold, without a doubt, whether you prefer them or not, whether you wish it was Capcom, Konami, Square Enix, whatever the hell it is, Sega is the right fit for that cultural standpoint, you know? Like, we all kind of, like, rationalized and okayed Bethesda because you think about Bethesda and it's like, yeah, well, they were PC predominantly and when they were on PC, I mean, that's Windows PC and it was, you know, it was like you get your Microsoft Windows PC and you play your fucking nerdy-ass Bethesda game. And then as they branched out and decided to start reaching into the console market, they were really in bed with Xbox for the longest time. Remember, back in the day, fucking... Oblivion and Morrowind. These were Xbox games. These were not PlayStation games. And then when they decided to start coming to PlayStation, 
They they fucking sucked. They they fucked up. No one liked them. Their games ran like shit on PlayStation. Look at Skyrim on PlayStation. Nobody played Skyrim on PS3 because it was ass. People played Skyrim on Xbox. Skyrim was an Xbox and PC game, even though it was available on PlayStation. So, like, there's that history. There's that relationship. Todd Howard and the Xbox team, they've had that back and forth. And Bethesda was, in a way, a good fit for Xbox, especially because they also have id, which is another one of those teams that goes back to, like, the Windows PC gaming scene. You know, Doom 3 was an Xbox game. These kinds of things. Like, there was a history. There was a... It made sense. Like, Playground Games, obviously that one made sense. No one... Like, we talk about Playground Games as a first-party Xbox team, and I'm, I'm willing to bet no Nobody even thinks about a time where Playground wasn't an Xbox team. You know, we would think that they bought them way before 2018 because it's just such a natural fit. They're they're like they're like a Sony team for Xbox, where it's just one of those teams where they just worked in a second party capacity for the longest time, they're just developing games exclusively for this this one platform, and and eventually they were like, let's put a fucking ring on it, you know? So I I don't know. That's why to me it's like a lot of this was easier to stomach back when the acquisitions were targeted around teams like that, where it's like, yeah, there's that there's that cultural fit. That makes sense with Xbox, you know? When Sony bought Insomniac, we were like, yeah, well, that makes sense. They've always been together, right? But I don't know. Square Enix is maybe one of the most off-base acquisitions Xbox could ever in a million years consider. And the, why would you why would you want Square Enix on, 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 on Xbox? Their games sell like shit on Xbox because, you know, it's a chicken and an egg thing. We don't know. It's, does the Xbox market not want their games or have they just historically not supported Xbox enough for their player base to be interested? I don't know. That's a different conversation. But Square Enix games sell like shit on Xbox. They're almost never available on Xbox. They have a huge lineage with Nintendo. And then in the late 90s, when the PlayStation 1 started really kicking off, they really transitioned away from Nintendo into PlayStation and have ever since then had a really strong relationship with PlayStation. And then they've kind of come back and gotten in bed a little bit more with Nintendo again over the years. But yeah, I mean, Square Enix kind of hates Xbox, right? Like they, if anything, if anyone needs to buy Square Enix, it's Sony. That's, that's a cultural fit right there. So I don't know. That's, that's a really weird one. I, I hate that one. And uh, it's just, it's gross. Like the only thing you're really doing there is just intentionally, you know, that, that goes back to that, buy you know spend sony at a business kind of thing where it's like you're just buying square enix because they're so tied to sony that it would be like a big middle finger to them if anything it's almost like sony buying i don't know bungie or something right it's just like bungie doesn't make sense with playstation that's a gross acquisition that's that's literally just like a middle finger to xbox if anything it feels like so i don't know that's i i hate this one but continuing on um you know in in the in this list created back in 2021 Xbox had like over a hundred developers and publishers shown on this list that would potential candidates for acquisition. And the full list includes everything ranging from Bluebird team to CD project red to level five to harmonics to from software. And, you know, Bluebird team is the guys that make that are making the silent Hill Two re- remake CD project red. That's that's Witcher and, and, and cyberpunk level five. It's a Japanese um, team that makes a lot of, Actually, off the top of my head, like Nino Cooney and stuff like that. Harmonics, that's the guys that make Rock Band. Uh, they got bought by Facebook recently, I believe. From Software, that's the Elden Ring uh, guys. So, I mean, it's crazy. All these teams that have, like, no history with Xbox. Um, and, and and the list was just ever, la- you know, just going on forever and ever. It's just tons and tons of teams. And as and as I write here, I said, honestly, they consider just about any team you can think of. So, so it appears that nothing was really off the table in the preliminary stage of this development. However, it seems like eventually they kind of started to key in on some some uh, some specific teams that were made made a little more sense for Xbox. However, one team of note that they did consider that doesn't get a whole lot of talking about 
until now, is Platonic. Platonic, the team behind the Kickstarter-developed Ukulele and its sequel, Ukulele, The Impossible Lair. Uh, now, Ukulele, for those that don't know, is basically just, in all but name, a, a poor man's Banjo-Kazooie. This is a, a, te- a British team formed of a lot of ex-Rare developers that worked on Banjo-Kazooie. Um, and they made ukulele because they don't have the the license to banjo kazooie. They were like, "Hey, Microsoft's not gonna make a new banjo kazooie. We'll go make one ourselves." And that's basically what they made. And so it looks like at some point Microsoft looked at Playtonic and said, "Should we buy you guys?" And then <laughs> and then they they didn't. But it's just like, so what would have happened? They would have they, they they were thinking about buying Playtonic games so that they could say, "Now that we own you, can you go ahead and make banjo kazooie?" These are the guys that made Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie. So that's so stupid. It's like you have Rare. They don't make a Banjo-Kazooie forever under Microsoft's ownership. A bunch of the old guys that made Banjo-Kazooie leave the studio, go on to create their own thing called Ukulele, and then you want to buy that team and make them make a Banjo-Kazooie game? What the fuck is that all about? So, you know, it's a weird one. Obviously, Banjo-Kazooie, a Nintendo 64 game. That was back when Rare was owned by Nintendo. And then in that, you know, famous story from the early 2000s, Nintendo sold Rare to Microsoft. So it's the weirdest story still to this day with Xbox. But, yeah, that Nintendo team got sold to Xbox. Um, but, yeah, so that was a weird one. Um, the, probably would have liked to have seen, you know, I, I don't know if you need to buy Platonic games. They haven't really proven themselves to be a great team necessarily. Ukulele is kind of seen as like a good, but not as good as Banjo-Kazooie type game. But if you task that team with making Banjo-Kazooie, maybe do a second party deal with them and have them make a Banjo-Kazooie game, I think that would be pretty damn popular. And you'd probably get a lot of talent go over to Platonic to want to go and work on that game. So I think that'd probably be a really good idea. Ultimately, apparently the list was filtered down to just 17 companies that they were targeting, but Playtonic did not make that final cut. So they uh, that is just a thing of the past that we can just kind of dwell on and think about how funny that was. So I continue on and transition to our next story by saying, as day two of, this, of the court hearing uh, joins, we begin to learn more about the really interesting news, including big reasons for why Microsoft ultimately obtained Bethesda in their big 2020 acquisition in the first place. So from Windows Central... FTC counsel cross-examined Microsoft Gaming Phil Spencer, CEO, who testified that Microsoft heard that Starfield might skip Xbox. They were hearing rumors, presumably, that this would have been part of a PS5 timed exclusive, similar to how PlayStation got a timed exclusive for uh, Arcane's Deathloop or Tango Gameworks Ghostwire Tokyo. Maybe those would be like uh, some kind of like uh, starter games before they, they struck a deal with the big one, Starfield. However, Spencer noted that after hearing about this uh, discussion was taking place, that was part of the reason why Microsoft decided to go and act and gain more of a first-party content. Microsoft announced the acquisition of ZeniMax in September of 2020, a deal that finalized in March of 2021 for $8.1 billion, adding Bethesda Game Studios and the rest of ZeniMax Media to Microsoft's first-party Xbox content. Crazy to think that in a matter of what six months they did that deal the activision deal is going to take like five years (laughs) so so this isn't the first time we've heard these stories of how sony was trying to get starfield as an exclusive whether it be permanent or timed probably timed and so it's really but what, what really is interesting is how this story basically you know made its way to microsoft and triggered phil spencer to basically be like you know what if 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 playstation is going to keep doing this shit we're just going to fight back dirtier because again we can outspend sony so 
Sony's going to try to get a game like Starfield to be exclusive to their platform. We'll just buy the people that make it, and then fuck Sony. We'll make the game exclusive on Xbox. I I gotta be honest, just from a just from the state like the standpoint of wanting to like be entertained as just a bystander, I do find that to be a little bit like of a, <laughs> of like a power play. Like obviously it's you know it's shitty. It's just a rich company using their assets to grow and be more all consuming. But if you don't look at it that way and you just look at it from like a funny like like how are you gonna respond kind of way. PlayStation goes to Bethesda and says, we want to make Starfield a timed exclusive on PlayStation. Fuck Xbox. Phil Spencer finds out about this and says, okay, fuck you, Sony. You want to play dirty? I can play dirty. But hey, yo, Bethesda, here's $8 billion. Uh, fucking, we own you, and Starfield is our exclusive game now. Suck it, PlayStation. And that's just that's just such a funny power move. So I, I don't know. I... I guess I never I never thought to put two and two together because we knew about the Sony thing, and then obviously Xbox made it exclusive when they when they you know when they got Starfield when they got Bethesda. But to think that they they potentially did it just to spite Sony, just to like fight dirty back, I fucking love that. I love that so much. Um, and, and the and the funnier thing is PlayStation had to pay for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo to be exclusive. And there's a good chance that the way that worked was Bethesda, and this is very possible, actually. Bethesda was probably working with PlayStation. They said, yeah, we're willing to work out some kind of deal where we can make Starfield an exclusive game for PlayStation, at least for maybe one or two years timed. But in order to do that, you have to help publish and promote and give us money to co-develop some of these other games. So what would have happened in that case is Bethesda says, we'll let you do Starfield as a timed exclusive for X amount of dollars, but in order for us to honor this deal, you have to help fund, like not not help develop, but help fund, give money to, and take on some of these other projects we have as timed exclusives. And so that's Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. That can happen a lot if like a publisher's not like super confident in the um and how some of these smaller projects will will perform, and you know that especially makes sense for something like Deathloop when Arcane hasn't really ever proven themselves to be a commercial sales success of a team. So it's very possible that that's what happened. Is Sony ended up getting the worst of both worlds, where they had to foot some money, and I mean we know they footed some money because to get these games exclusive they had to pay something. So they ended up paying money to get Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo on PlayStation Five with the understanding or expectation that down the road, they'd be able to strike some deal and pay money to get Starfield on PS5 as a time exclusive. And then everything backfired. They paid money for these games. Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo severely underperform financially on PlayStation 5. And then Microsoft buys Bethesda, makes Starfield an Xbox exclusive, never coming to PlayStation, and Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo, which have already been developed and already helped pay for by Sony now get to come to Xbox a year after they come out. So I feel like that was one of those, like, I think of that Donald, uh, that Childish Gambino joke from back when he used to do stand-up in his earlier days of his career, when he talks about, like, uh, the guy putting, like, <laughs> the old pervy man putting, like, the the slice of delicious pepperoni pizza on his penis and be like, yeah, 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 you starving, dying man, you can have this slice of pizza, but you gotta eat it off my dick. And the guy's like, you bastard, and proceeds to do it. Um, I'm butchering the joke, but it's a funny stand-up bit that that uh, that Childish Gambino used to do back in the day. But anyway, 
I just like visualize that joke when I think about this a little bit where it's like <laughs> Microsoft just kind of absolutely fucks over PlayStation in every way. Like you foot money for these underperforming games. We still get them on our console and we get the developer and we get Starfield and you don't get Starfield here. You can have a slice of pizza, eat it off my fucking dick. It's kind of like, excuse my vulgarity. It's just, it, it just reminds me of that, that joke because it's just such a fucking power play move. But, um, yeah, that's, that's funny as hell to me. Um, but yeah, so that's I don't know, connecting those dots is interesting. We've heard those stories in the past, but having that kind of connection just really changes things. Although I still would argue Bethesda was a good fit for Microsoft. So ultimately that deal, I think it kind of ended up going pretty well. Honestly, up, up through Bethesda, I think Microsoft was doing a pretty good job, but Activision, I don't, still don't know how I feel about that deal. Um, all right, well, let's move on. Let's transition to the next. I think we're, we're more than halfway through. Let's see. Yeah, we got about seven more. So we're at, we've done about 10 of these. So we'll, let's try and move a little quicker. Um, I, I told you guys there's a lot of shit coming out of this event or this, um, this hearing. So next up, from Windows Central, uh, let's go back and talk about Microsoft calling out Sony for their business practices and having elicited, you know, having their business practices be the reason to elicit this retaliatory action coming from Microsoft. So from Windows Central, when asked about how Xbox felt about releasing games on PlayStation, Phil Spencer said PlayStation uses the money that they make off of Xbox games on the PS5 to pay for other games to block the Xbox platform. He stated that PlayStation uses the 30% split of games sales on Xbox uh, survival in the market. So so this is basically, that's, that's fucking crazy. Actually, let me read this and then we'll, we'll go over it. Microsoft publishes various games on PlayStation like Minecraft, Minecraft Dungeons, Fallout 76, Elder Scrolls Online, and many more. Spencer's comments hint at a scenario where Sony is actively trying to undermine Microsoft using the funding it gets from Microsoft's own games to then hurt Microsoft. The statement is a direct shot towards PlayStation's move of, for third-party exclusivity in the marketplace. Deals like Final Fantasy, other Square Enix titles like Final Fantasy VII, Bethesda titles like Deathloop, and many more. Phil Spencer is now on record stating that sales made from games like Minecraft are in turn used against them by Sony in acquiring third-party content. Prior, Spencer is asked if they lost the console wars. He responds, as the console wars is a social construct within the community, I, I never want to count our community out. They're big fans. If you look at our market share in the console space over the past 20 years, we're in third place. And that's all he says. So we'll, we'll continue on in a second, but I just want to stop for a second and, and, and think about this. So this isn't exactly how it works, but we can play this way to kind of give you the visual, visualization. So Microsoft publishes some games on Xbox. So Minecraft, any Minecraft game, Legends, Dungeons, whatever. Um, Elder Scrolls Online, Fallout 76, what have you, right? They, they publish these games on PlayStation. For every time these games are sold on PlayStation, Microsoft gets 70% of the money made, Sony gets 30%. Remember, back to our thing. Sony being the platform holder gets 30% of every game sold. So what they do is, every time they sell, you know, every time someone buys Minecraft on PlayStation or buys Elder Scrolls Online on PlayStation or makes an in-app purchase on Fallout 76 on PlayStation, Sony takes that money... And this isn't exactly how it works. I'm just trying to visualize it. Essentially takes, figures out generally what that revenue is from all those games, sets that money aside, and then uses that money to go, hey, Square Enix, uh, what's it going to cost to get Final Fantasy 7 and 16 off of Xbox? You know, uh, another deal like what they were doing with Bethesda before Microsoft bought Bethesda. Hey, Bethesda, what's it going to take 
to get Deathloop off of Xbox, to get Starfield off of Xbox. And um, it's so funny because basically what he's saying is, <laughs> it's, it, again, this is, it's another power move. It's, it's, it's actually funny when you think about it. Kind of like how it's funny what Xbox did. Now, you know, PlayStation's doing the same kind of dirty shit back with the ways in which they can. We're like, sure, we'll take your fucking money. Sell your stupid games on our platform. We'll take your money, and then we'll take that money and use it to hurt you. And I just, again, it's a power move. It's an absolute power move. Sony's in a position where they're dominating Xbox. Xbox is like, well, we'll put some of our games on your platform. It's like, sure thing, do that, buddy. And then we'll take that money and use it to, to hurt your lineup on your console. And it's just, it's a fucking, again, it's the, it's the, it's the juicy, fresh slice of pepperoni pizza that you're dying for because you just came off a desert island you haven't eaten in weeks and you're dying. And you can have it, but you got to eat it off this fucking sloppy, gross mafia mobster's penis and it's disgusting. So that's just how it works, man. That's business. So keep this in mind. The people out there ooing and aahing and bitching and moaning about, oh, well, Matt Booty said they would spend Sony out of business, spend PlayStation out of business. That's so messed up. We need the government to... Bro... We got fucking Xbox buying Bethesda to, to middle finger Sony. We got Sony taking Xbox's own money and using it to hurt their platform. This is business, baby. Yeah, it reminds me of that Whitest Kids You Know skit where like the, the guy is like uh, in his office and he's like, oh, this is just business, Johnson. And like he's like, he's like, that guy got a sniper. And like the guy in the building across, that's his competitors, like sniping all the people in his building. So he's got like a fucking cannon. He's lobbing cannons over at the guy's building. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? He's like, this is just business. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's basically what this is. This is the this is the corporate world. It's just a bunch of grown ass men in suits. Acting like babies, acting like monkeys, throwing their poo-poo around. That's, that's how it works, baby. They don't care about you. They don't care about your money. They just care about your money. Baby. Window Central. Let's move on. One such document to be produced from the hearing that reveals Microsoft expects the next generation of consoles, so Xbox Series Z and PlayStation 6 or whatever, to launch sometime around 2028. The proposed 2028 launch date for the next Xbox consoles as well as PlayStation 6 would be on par with previous generations, the last two which have a similar, uh, seemingly lasted about seven years. 360 and PS3 were Generation 7 from 2005 or 2006, depending on the console, to about 2013. And then PlayStation 4 was 2013 to 2020, so similar thing. Xbox could always, and this is what I put, Xbox could always use another start as they've never been able to catch up to PlayStation since the 360 days, and even then they lost. This is so much uh, This is so much the case to the point where Microsoft even sacrificed potential Xbox Series X sales to, in, uh, to invest further in cloud infrastructure, potentially more important in promising future for the gaming brand going forward should things play out the way they're hoping. Going on with that... The Verge reports in an internal email exchange between Xbox Phil Spencer and CFO Tim Stewart uh, in December of 2020, the pair discussed the reasons behind lower Xbox console volumes on the market. The email has been revealed as part of an FTC versus Microsoft hearing that we've been talking about. Spencer admits that Microsoft has yield for Miss, uh, sorry, that had a yield for Miss Scarlet, quote unquote, which is the code name for, you know. Series X, Project Scarlet, the code name, uh, but they also uh, add in that a delay to Halo Infinite were many factors of scarcity for the console. During the initial launch period, Microsoft had to cut compute units of the Series X silicon down from 52 to 56 to improve production, production yield. 
but the company still missed a target for hardware production of the console. Microsoft also had a strategic bet on cloud that appears to have been holding back chips for. They were holding back chips for. Less than a year after the Series X and X, X and S launched, Microsoft had already upgraded to cloud-based gaming servers with custom Xbox Series X hardware to improve frame rates and load times because in the early days, that stuff was running off Xbox Ones. Now it was running off Xbox Series consoles. The email exchange references the trade-off of spending money on Xbox console volume for to sell you know units, consoles, and stores versus cloud uh, bets. They say, quote, from the strategy perspective, I believe in our trade-offs for cloud and content in gaming over console volume. With our strategy and opportunity, console volume will still be the thing that we can uh, we constrain to grow the, in long-term ambition. So basically it goes on to say Microsoft had to invest money in building its cloud infrastructure, and they kind of favored that a little bit over production of the Series X because they had to use limited chips during that pandemic era to favor one thing over another. They were really keen to compete against emerging technologies like Amazon Luna, Google Stadia. They wanted xCloud or Xbox Game Streaming to grow and grow and be kind of the dominant player in that space before this space really took off. And that's kind of the decision for why they did what they did. So now we know Xbox Series X, part of the reason it was so hard to find for so long is because they were not producing that many in an attempt to work on expanding cloud infrastructure, which is another thing that was speculated and kind of teased at, but now we we know. All right, I don't have anything to say about those things. They're kind of boring to me, so we'll just move straight on over to the next part. This is where we get a little spicy again because PlayStation gets involved and starts being a, an orangutan throwing their poop around. From VGC, during a pre-recorded video... or sorry. Sony Interactive Entertainment doesn't expect cloud gaming to represent a major part of the business until 2025 at the earliest, according to CEO Jim Ryan. During a pre-recorded video that aired uh, during the court this past week, PlayStation's uh, Jim Ryan was asked when cloud would become a commercial success. He says, quote, it obviously depends on how you define significant, but when I say that cloud technology will become a meaningful component of how gamers access games, I say between 2025-2023. Following the uh, the probing, Ryan said that it was impossible to be more specific, but added, quote, we're making significant investments in cloud in anticipation that it's becoming a very meaningful uh, way in in the way that games gamers access game content. Sony announced this month's Sony announced this month that's testing cloud streaming for PS5 games, a feature which will be offered on the PlayStation Plus premium subscription tier when it launches. Jim Ryan said that in May that, quote, we observe mobility in gaming habits to be an increasing important trend and that the cloud will be fundamental to allowing us or indeed anybody else to exploit that trend. We do have some fairly interesting, quite aggressive plans to accelerate the initiative in the space of the cloud as we unfold over the course of the coming months. But more recently, Sony CEO Kenichiro Yoshida said technical issues remain with cloud-based gaming, calling the technology very tricky, but challenging what we want to take on, a challenge that they want to take on. So, I mean, these guys are so much easier to read than Xbox people, the way they talk. Their PR talk is much better. But anyway, yeah, important note here, PlayStation's cloud gaming and infrastructure, it's been around longer than Xbox has been doing it, at least with gaming, Uh, but... PlayStation's technology sucks. Apparently, it has gotten better and better over the years. I have not used it in a long-ass time, but the few times I used it back... Uh, it's been probably like five years. It Absolute trash. I know it's gotten better, but I, I hear it is still significantly worse than what Xbox has. So the fact that they're saying that they think this will become significant as early as two years from now, and they have plans up their sleeves, but they really haven't pushed or done anything substantial since, I mean, that's it's kind of interesting to see how PlayStation... Well, they're being very quiet. We don't really know what all their 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 
their plan, their kind of attack route is right now, other than to say that we know that they are um other than to say we know that they're they're really aggressive about getting into the games as a service type multiplayer space, but as far as their streaming efforts and initiatives, they're being quiet, but also admitting that they think that this is gonna be a big market as soon as possibly two years from now. So that's quite interesting. Um, it shows that everyone sees the technology heading in the same space, which is quite common in these kinds of industries where, you know, everyone, you know, everyone's privy to the same data and the same trends. And so it's not, it's no surprise that Xbox and PlayStation are looking at ahead at similar futures, but they're just taking different paths to get there. And PlayStation is very much keeping their clothes, their cards close to their chest. Whereas Microsoft is publicly saying every single thing that they're doing and, going full steam ahead on trying to go into this 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 streaming future that you know everyone's you know consumers still really aren't fully sold on or invested in it at all but uh let's continue on finally when sony last spoke they made it a point to uh note how contentious game pass has been <clears throat> both internally and with the games industry as a whole from developers and publishers across the board from vgc jim ryan claimed that publishers are opposed to Xbox Game Pass subscription model. During the dep deposition, Microsoft's lawyer asked Ryan about comments he made on PlayStation's investors in a meeting that took place about a month after Microsoft had announced plans to acquire the Call of Duty maker back in January of last year, 2022. Uh, recounting the discussion, Microsoft's lawyer said that Ryan told investor investors that Game Pass had, quote, driven them to make larger acquisitions. So, yeah, it's putting some fire into their butt. Ryan reportedly continued by saying, I have talked to publishers and um, and they unanimously do not like Game Pass because its value is destructive. Was the true was that true of the time? The lawyer asked Jim Ryan, to which Ryan responded, I believe it had been <laughs> I believe it to have been true, he said. Uh, Microsoft's lawyer pressed further, saying, You said you talked to the publishers, did you? Ryan responded, I talk to publishers all the time, and this is a very commonly held view over many years by the publishers. Xbox Game Pass launched in June of 2017 and has become central to Microsoft's gaming business and attracted over 25 million subscribers as of last January, according to the company. What's important to note here is there have been murmurings that a lot of publishers, a lot of developers aren't fans of Game Pass and they don't think it's good and that's training consumers to not buy games and that it has destructive qualities and, and you know, we're playing with fire. Maybe it works out, but maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, what does that mean for the future? I don't know. It's hard to tell. And I don't really begrudge a lot of these developers and publishers for being weary about Game Pass because if things do go awry and we end up in a future where gamers only want subscriptions and no one wants to buy games, I see how that can be really harmful for very small-scale publishers and developers. But for the most part, I, I think that if anything's been proven by the fact that Game Pass, despite a roaring success and growing constantly... I think if anything's been shown, despite Game Pass's success, it's that gamers are still willing to buy games because people still buy games on Xbox that aren't in Game Pass. And people still buy PlayStations over Xboxes by insane amounts. And every game X or PlayStation and Nintendo sell, sell like crack. And games on Steam sell like crack. And games are still, people are still spending money in games constantly. So if there's anything we've learned over the past five, six years with Game Pass, it's that People still spend money on games, regardless of whether or not a really great gaming subscription service exists or not. So I, I understand the weariness. And I think, you know, if everyone had a Game Pass type subscription service, we might be seeing a different story play out, especially like if Sony, Nintendo and Xbox all had a similar subscription that's, you know, tick for tack, pretty similar. It might be a different story, but 
I don't know. On its own, Game Pass doesn't seem to really be destroying or eroding the industry. Although there's much room for it to grow, and there's much more for that conver- much more space for that conversation to evolve. And I think some of this this concern has less to do with just well, what if Microsoft does Game Pass, but also a little bit of what if Microsoft doing Game Pass encourages Google and Amazon and all the other companies to do their version of Game Pass, and then they find success in it, and then we have a problem on our hands where we shift away from you know, the pre-existing names in gaming, making consoles and games and having developers to shifting over to a future where it's Microsoft and Amazon and Google and they're all doing these cloud streaming things that have just destroyed and obliterated the old guard. So I guess that's the concern. And I understand it. But at the same time, I feel like so far this concern really hasn't played out in any real material way. And so still, you know, time will tell. But still, so far, I think it's been much to do about nothing, but I wouldn't say that's a definitive final answer by any means. So as we start to wrap up, because we only have two more, yeah, two more of these of these uh, stories to get through. Uh, as we start to wrap up, it seems like Activision might even be on the same mindset as uh, Sony, as Bobby Kodak isn't necessarily into the idea of Activision titles being available on Game Pass-like services either. From Windows Central, while speaking during the hearing, Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision, currently isn't interested in or multi-game subscription services like Game Pass. Quote, I have, I'm going to try to talk like Bobby Kotick, I have, uh, in general, aversion to idea of multi-game subscription services. Maybe part of it is being in Los Angeles and having large, big media companies move their content to these subscription streaming services and businesses resulting have, results having suffered. Uh, He went on to say that he has no plans to put Call of Duty on these services, but he does have plans to harass his employees. Kodak also noted that while his company has experimented with a few streaming services, he doesn't plan to make other titles available to them moving forward. With that said, the FTC did not or did note, sorry, that Activision hasn't made an official decision about these game services, but says that we'd evaluate and uh, the possibility of the company's games coming to subscription services saying, quote, generally uh, speaking, I don't believe that multi-subscription services for games is the best way uh, to enable players to make their investments. And quote, Activision was reportedly considered putting its titles on Game Pass in 2020, but made this decision not to include our games on Game Pass as a subscription service. I don't agree with the idea of multi-game subscription services as a business proposition going forward, but we at Activision and Microsoft can agree to disagree said Kodak in response to the questioning from Judge Corley about why he agreed to the merger if he didn't believe in services like Game Pass as a commercial makes commercial sense. So let's stop there. I think that's the big kicker. Why do you agree to this merger if you don't even agree to the, 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 the pretense of Game Pass, the whole reason why Microsoft needs your fucking, your business under their umbrella? Well, uh, Mr. Corley, Mr. Judge Corley, it's because... Uh, Bobby Kodak wants to sell out, make like a rich bastard, get the fuck out of here, make his money and be done. And then Activision and Microsoft can go do whatever the fuck they want down down the river. Uh, you know, it, that's that's how it goes. He wants to make his money and get out of here. You know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it is funny that throughout this process, we've learned Bobby Kodak strong-armed Microsoft to give them a better deal and said, you guys aren't a big enough player in the space. We want more money from you. Bobby Kotick undermined Game Pass and Microsoft's whole initiative right now with gaming in general. And Activision has never been a supporter of Microsoft really 
in any of these initiatives. The only Microsoft Activision partnership I can even think of is like the Xbox 360 era where Call of Duty got shown off on E3 stages for Xbox. Like, this is an example where I'm saying there's no cultural fit. Microsoft is trying to buy Activision because they were a wounded deer and the price was right at the time and they have the IP and the companies and the expertise in mobile and console and live service to meet all your needs and to bolster Game Pass, which don't get me wrong, from a business standpoint, it's a great reason to acquire someone, but Activision is in that realm of they're not a good cultural fit. Honestly, if you want someone on a scale of Activision to fit into the Xbox stable, someone who has a who's a better cultural fit who makes more sense for Xbox is EA. EA would be a way better fit for Xbox. I'm not saying I'd prefer EA. I'm saying EA would be a better cultural fit for Xbox than Activision by a long shot. Because a lot of a lot of people have gone from Xbox to EA to EA to Xbox. Long history between the two teams. EA's been a huge supporter of Xbox forever and ever. You can get respawn. That'd be pretty nice to get. I don't know. It's just, it's just funny how X, Xbox keeps defending Activision. Activision keeps defending Xbox when they talk about the deal. But then whenever Activision talks about Xbox in terms of other facets of the business or things come to surface, it's like Activision doesn't give a shit about Xbox. They'd be fucking fine without Xbox. Activision would rather live... In fact, one of the stories, we're not covering it because it's more about Nintendo, but one of the stories is that Bobby Kotick basically says, I regret not putting Call of Duty on Switch. I didn't think it would be that successful of a platform, and clearly I was wrong. Bobby Kotick had it his way. He could only have two platforms and nothing else. He didn't have Call of Duty on Nintendo and PlayStation and not on Xbox because there's just that much more of an install base at this point. It's just it's just so funny. It's all about, I mean, again, it's all about the money. There's no there's no cultural fit between Activision and Xbox. Bobby Kotick's not a good fit for an Xbox publisher team, first party part of the, the equation. Get that man out of here. If you're going to buy Activision, get Kodak out. He's not a good fit. I mean, he's been great at running Activision. He knows how to make fucking money, that's for sure. But he's not a good fit for Xbox. But, okay. And let's cap it all off with our final story of the day, although I'm sure 7,000 more stories have happened in the time since we start recording. But to cap it all off for the day, let's end with Sony straight up admitting that Microsoft's purchase of Activision is mostly inconsequential to them. From Windows Central, a large number of internal documents between the affected parties have revealed some of the inner workings of both PlayStation and Microsoft. PlayStation is one of the chief directors against uh, PlayStation is one of the chief de- uh, detractors against the deal, hoping to convince regulators that they would be harmed comp- uh, competitively if Microsoft is allowed to compete complete the purchase of the Call of Duty franchise owner. Activision uh, has been used as a weapon to slam these points home, however. Internal emails from PlayStation emerged, painting a very different picture of how Sony views the deal. So Sony, whether it was with the CMA or now the FTC, is always like, oh, but it could hurt us if they owned Call of Duty. It could hurt us. We wouldn't even trust giving them our dev kits because who knows? We don't we don't trust them. This internal uh, email from last January when the deal was initially announced by Microsoft and Activision from Chris Deering, who's basically like the head, the, the European division of PlayStation guy, says in an email... <laughs> To Jim Ryan, well, actually, so first let's do this. Jim Ryan, I'll I'll read this one first. Jim Ryan writes to Chris Deering, and first he says, it's not an X, this is straight up from their email. It's not an Xbox exclusivity play at all. They're thinking bigger than that. This is them reacting to the news that Xbox is buying Activision. And they have the cash to make moves like this. I've seen a fair bit of, I spent a fair bit of time with Phil Spencer and, and Bobby Kotick over the past day. I'm pretty sure we will continue to see Call of Duty on PlayStation for many years to come. We have some good stuff cooking. Keep your eyes peeled. I'm not complaining. I'd rather, 
this hadn't happened, of course, but we'll be okay. More than okay. That's what that's what Jim Ryan said in an email to Chris Deering, to which Chris responds, Phil Spencer was at a CNBC, was on CNBC, uh, <laughs> Phil Spencer was in CNBC, saying that the acquisition would cement Microsoft as a player in mobile games. Strikes me more as a King play than a Call of Duty, but King sold to Bobby for $5 billion and has not grown to be $50 billion worth. Is that a Xbox exclusivity play? Spencer could have locked up Microsoft console exclusivity for the next three Call of Duty releases for maybe $5 billion. Or he says 5 billion euro, but you know, you got to translate it because of course the Europeans, they don't know how to use real numbers. Um, All right. He actually continues on. He says, the major cash out will lure most of the talent to take the money and run as fast as their contracts will allow, leaving Microsoft in a very gnarly management challenge. I bet Eves is smiling like uh, like Cheshire, like Cheshire Cat. Uh, I I I wonder if he means East Gilmont of Ubisoft because they could like scoop up Call of Duty talent or something. I don't know. If this was a play to end run uh, PS5, etc., I think. Uh, I think it was massively overhauled and not meaningfully succeed. Uh, will not meaningfully succeed. I guess Microsoft can piss away what kind of valuation without being more harmed than helped. But I'm not losing a wink of sleep over the further, over the future of our baby. Hope you agree. Cheers. I guess Microsoft can piss away that. Let me. Just, I'm reading it again. I guess Microsoft could piss away that kind of valuation without being more harmed than helped. But I'm not losing a wink of sleep over the future of our baby. Hope you agree. There's a lot you can glean from this one. I kind of saved the best for last in a way, but we'll, we'll try to be brief with it because I'm sure you guys are exhausted from this hearing. This is insane. Uh, Microsoft is, or, or PlayStation is straight up saying, wow, why why $79 billion or $69 billion? I wonder, huh, I wonder why that number, huh? What do you think it is? They, You know, Activision acquired King, their mobile team, for $5 billion, and Microsoft is saying a huge part of this is mobile, but they're offering to pay $69 billion US dollars for the to, to acquire Activision Blizzard King. So what? They think between mobile, Call of Duty, and Blizzard that that's all worth that much more than $5 billion, you know? So obviously, and they're just going back and forth, kind of trying to figure out Microsoft's logic in this. But they're also clearly saying, we're not concerned. Microsoft could have spent 5 billion euro and just gotten exclusivity for the next three Call of Duty games released. But they're going for the whole enchilada. That means they're after more than Call of Duty. So they're even acknowledging that this deal is not purely about Call of Duty. It's about a lot more than that. Probably mobile. <laughs> and they're saying, our baby will be okay. I'm not worried about it. I'm not losing a wink of sleep. Hope you agree. Well, damn, dude. And now we don't get the response. Oh, he also says, P.S. They would have been better off announcing a new electric car. <laughs> so like he's really not concerned about it. Now, maybe Jim Ryan's a lot more concerned than Chris Deering is. We don't know. We don't see a response to him. And I wonder what he's talking about when he says, I bet Yves is smiling like a Cheshire cat saying that what? Because he's kind of insinuating that with the kind of money Microsoft's throwing down, they could buy Activision when the deal's done. Everyone runs out their contracts and then Bobby Kodak and all the heads that Treyarch and and uh, Infinity War and all these teams could just be like, peace out, see ya, and just fucking leave. And then Microsoft would be left with Activision, Blizzard, King, all these developers, all these IP, all these studios to manage, all these employees, and a lot of their creative talent gone. 
And you're saying, why would they do that? And then you go on over at Ubisoft would be happy because they're trying to make a Call of Duty competitor right now and they would just gobble that shit up. I don't know if that's maybe what he's saying, but it's just so, I don't know, man. It's just so funny to see them shrug this off and not give a flying fuck about this deal. And then they're showing up in all these courts, all these uh, in front of all these regulators. Oh, we're just so worried about Call of Duty being exclusive on Xbox. It's not fair. We don't trust Xbox. We don't we don't trust them putting games on our console. We don't think their 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 intentions are all that good, but they don't give a shit. And again, it just goes back to the overarching theme. It's all theatrics, man. Come they're just they're just big babies in suits, just doing what they gotta do to protect their jobs. This is this is their job. They gotta protect these brands, these companies, and whatever. And then the fanboys can parse out whatever quotes they want and go on Twitter and just be like, whoa, sick burn. PlayStation's awesome. Nah, bro. Xbox is cooler than PlayStation. And they can just fight on behalf of these fucking goons. But yeah, I mean, fuck. <laughs> so I, I, I'll i be honest. I'm thoroughly exhausted from from this, this, uh, this hearing with the FTC. And next week when we meet, I assume there will be much more to discuss on this. But then after that, we'll be pretty close to basically a, a do-or-die moment where the deal either ends for good or gets or gets approved. But we're getting super close to the end of this. At least we're, or at the very least, we're getting super close to a point where a more permanent decision is going to be settled. So stay tuned. We're weeks away from it all. Let me know what you guys think about all these crazy back and forths, emails, courtroom statements, lawyer talk, all this shit. Super interesting stuff. So for now, we'll put a bow on that. Move into the rest of the podcast where we got like two other news stories to talk about. And then we'll get into some listener comments and things like that. So, okay. So next up, we do have some normal stories here. First one, actually really interesting story about Perfect Dark and the initiative. So let's just jump into that real quick. So this uh, reading is a little bit from VGC's poll of it, but the original reporting comes from IGN. Uh, Rebecca Valentine, I guess uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with her name, someone at IGN, uh, did some really great reporting on this story. So shout out to her. This is it's not every day IGN has some good insider scoops these days. So this is uh, cool stuff to see from them. She, uh, yeah, so she did some digging for a couple months talking with Certain Affinity. Crystal Dynamics and the initiative sources from all three teams and came up with these findings. So let's just get into this uh, VGC retelling to kind of condense all of what's told here. Xbox's perfect dark reboot remains in early stages of development and is likely to still stay two to three years away from release, it's been claimed. According to new counts of the game's troubled development cycle provided by IGN, by 13 people who've worked on the game across three different studios. Recent plans also report reportedly appear to be leaning towards some form of an episodic release for Perfect Dark, God please no, although this could yet change given how far the game is from re- releasing. Led by Daryl Gallagher, who was first formerly head of development at Activision and Square Enix, first party, first party Xbox studio The Initiative, has been working on Perfect Dark since it established back in 2018. A secret agent thriller set in the near future world, the game will be first new, the first new installment in the series since Rare's Perfect Dark Zero launched alongside the Xbox 360 back in 2005. While the project was announced in 2020, nothing has been shown off for it since the years of setbacks that have stalled development. These reports include a fraught co-development partnership with Certain Affinity, which worked on the game between 2019 and 2021, 
in high attrition at the initiative in which the team at one point got down to only like 30 something employees at the entire studio. So like they've, they lost a lot of people, including really notable people like of course, Andrew Murray, who we talked about um, back when he left to go back to insomniac uh, VGC reported back in March of 2022 that the Xbox studio had seen a fast and furious wave of senior departures over the previous year. It was announced in September 2021 that Xbox had partnered with Crystal Dynamics to co-develop the game. And IGN claims that the project was essentially re restarted from scratch in Unreal Engine 5 last year. Its sources describe Perfect Dark as a narrative-focused FPS mixing combat with espionage and spy gadgetry and some experimental movement tech. It's now reportedly moving in the right direction, even if it's a long ways to go. So, yeah, I mean, you, and you should go on IGN Real, read the full article. It's it's really in-depth, has good quotes and specific information. But if, essentially what happened, it seems like, is that the initiative had some idea for what they wanted this game to be. And they worked with certain affinity, the guys that do a lot of multiplayer support work on Call of Duty and Halo and things like that. And they were making this, like, third-person action, cinematic, spy, espionage, perfect dark game. I keep saying third-person action. They never said that. could be first-person. It's probably first-person like the other games are. Uh, but this cinematic spy espionage game with cool, fun, unique gameplay. And the game just kept falling apart. They say it got to the point where, like, the teams were just butting heads all the time. And then people started leaving the initiative. And then it felt like it was more a certain affinities project than it even was the initiatives. And then eventually, at one point, the contract ended for a certain affinity to work on the game and they stepped away and said no we're good we don't need to be a part of this and so many people left the initiative that they were down to basically a skeleton crew a small crew and they said it was disheartening like they would they reach milestones in development the game would be coming along and then teams would just scratch that randomly and start working on new things and it wasn't necessarily that things weren't working it was just that teams were disjointed and in different directions and always re revising, reiterating on things when they need to be moving on to new projects. And, and that, you know, it'd be like one day you'd make progress on some aspect that you're working on. And then the next day, like five people would leave the studio and then you'd be right back to square one, trying to like recuperate. And basically when certain affinities contract ended and they walked away, crystal dynamics came into play. And that's because, you know, uh, Gallagher, who leading the studio, the initiative, he came from crystal dynamics. He led on those recent, Tomb Raider games, and so he's basically called upon his old team, uh, and, and, and the, the guys at Xbox were able to pull them over, borrow some talent from, uh, well, at the time, Square Enix, and now, you know, now Embracer, to have them basically co-develop this game, and, and the reports are still that. It seems like in a lot of ways, this is kind of Crystal Dynamics game more than anything. Like they're doing the grunt of the work, the brunt of the work, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of their game first. Even though the initiative is supposed to be kind of like the spearhead or the shepherd of the, of the franchise, and so it just seems like a whole hodgepodge of mess. And that while the article does end by saying the game seems to be in more of a a good place development wise, and that things are coming together. It just seems like this game has been a mess ever since the start, and it's just yet another story of this whole Microsoft mismanaging the team. What the hell is going on behind the scenes? Who's letting this happen? Why is this happening? What does it take to get these things going smoothly? Obviously, game development is always a bit of a tortured story, and we don't always get the behind the scenes. Maybe some publishers or developers are better at keeping closed lips and hiding these secrets and not letting the stories get out. <clears throat> but Xbox seems to particularly have an issue with this, where there's too much of a hands-off approach. And there's not enough of a visionary kind of hand guiding in, in, in producing these games from start to finish. And 
I, I'm still a little hung up on the whole thing with the initiative where it's like they were supposed to be this big triple A team to compete with the likes of Naughty Dog and Sony Santa Monica. And it just seems like they're this small skeleton crew that basically just, I don't know, is there to facilitate a project and then have these support teams do the the bulk of the work. And it's not to say that's weird for support teams or co-development to occur on a game, but it is weird to say that these teams are doing like a majority of the work or it's, I don't know. It's like when we play this game, is it going to feel like a crystal dynamics game? And is it going to feel like from the creators of tomb Raider, I guess is my concern, or is it going to feel like something all new that will start in the formation of, this new studio that grows its unique own culture and identity that turns out to be the initiative over time as they make sequels to perfect dark and other games that aren't perfect dark. And I don't know. I'm just worried that what we're going to get is just like another crystal dynamics game. And just, I don't know that just, it's not that crystal dynamics is bad. They make great games. It's just that I feel like we're losing this promise that we never got to see come to fruition in any way, shape, or form of this brand new, built from the ground up Xbox first party studio that's going to do all new things. And I feel like this game could be great. I hope I hope it is great. I'm really excited for it. I, I want Perfect Dark to come back, and I want it to be great. But I don't know. It just seems like everything that's ever come out with this game has always been a disappointment. It's like, oh, they're building their new studio. It's going to be super triple A game with all this veteran talent. But the veteran talent keeps leaving. And we don't know what they're working on. And now we know what they're working on. It's a little disappointing. They're just bringing back this old franchise that people don't really need or care for all that much instead of doing something entirely new. Okay, they're getting development support work. Okay, nothing's coming together. Okay, now they got a new team. Okay, now the new team's kind of taking over. Okay, now we're just getting a new game from the guys that make Tomb Raider, basically. Okay, now it might be episodic. What the hell? And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I want, this is supposed to be Microsoft's team and their project to kind of give the god of war and the last of us and the ghost of tsushima a bit of a run for its money you know like or not i i always am here arguing i think gears of war has grown into be a, a franchise of similar quality and scale and scope that's just my opinion but i know a lot of people don't feel that way i, th I think xbox should have bought remedy because remedy already makes games that are on par with these games and i think that would have been what they needed beside the point I think people are waiting for Microsoft to have that kind of response to Sony's first-party narrative-driven games. And this seemed like it was supposed to be it, but now I find it hard to believe this is it. This story leaves me more confident that the game is finally coming along. It'll probably look great in Unreal Engine 5. Can't wait to see that. I have no doubt that they'll find a way to make it interesting and compelling and fun, and all that is what really matters most. But as for this game that was going to kind of... I don't know, set a new bar for what Xbox first party could be. I have basically no hope and no expectation that the initiative, and in this case, Crystal Dynamics, are going to deliver that. And that's disappointing. The episodic thing can work with the nature of Game Pass, because obviously this is a Game Pass game, but I don't think that's how they should do this game. I just, I don't see <clears throat> in what way this game is going to be Xbox's response to fo Sony's first party if it's basically just made by Crystal Dynamics and it's episodic and it's just a reboot of a franchise nobody asked to see come back. And I guess that's the thing. You know, maybe, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Maybe they see potential in bringing back Perfect Dark the way Sony was able, you know, Sony Santa Monica was able to take something like God of War and re and, and reimagine it into something so different. I don't know. It could happen. I could see them doing it. 
I think Joanna Dark's a cool character. I think Perfect Dark's a cool universe. I like the spy espionage first-person shooter thing. I think that's cool. But you got a lot of work to do to build to have this game and this team be the answer to Sony's first party. And nothing we've seen has given me any confidence that they're even remotely close to being in that direction. I have a lot more confidence in the coalition making that game than I do of the initiative. At, at least at this point. So <clears throat> hopefully the game is coming along nicely. It explains why we didn't see it at the Xbox showcase a few weeks ago. Hey, that's fine. Two, three years out. That's fine. We know Xbox has got a jam pack 2023. We know Xbox has got a jam pack 2024. And now that we know what's going on behind the scenes of this game, it makes sense as to why we haven't seen more of it. So, you know, maybe we see it next year at E3 or the year after that, or, you know, E3 Xbox's game showcase is what I mean to say. And uh, that's fine. Maybe it's a 2025, 2026 game. At least now we know. Gives me a little more peace of mind with where the initiative is, what's going on, is everything okay? But I'm just really doubtful that whatever it is they're going to pull together at the end of the day is going to be what we were initially kind of promised this team was working on. And that's the kind of disappointing part. It's a little bit of, you know, it's a little, a little bittersweet, a little good and bad there. But that's what's going on with the initiative. Uh, let's talk about X, uh, Activision shutting down the original Call of Duty Warzone. So from VGC, Activision has announced that they're shutting down the original Warzone released in 2020. Later this year, as of September 21st, 2023, Call of Duty Warzone Caldera will shut down Quote, as teams focus on future Call of Duty content, including the current Warzone free-to-play experience, according to Activision. Now, they call it Call of Duty Warzone Cal- Caldera, but it's Warzone. They just That's the last expansion name. They just use that to describe it because Warzone 2 from Modern Warfare 2 has been renamed from Warzone 2 to just Warzone. Call of Duty Warzone Caldera is the renamed version of the original Warzone launched in 2020. That's what I just said. Following the release of Warzone 2.0 last November, the original Warzone was renamed Caldera after its final map. That's what I just said. Why did I do that? Um, crucially, they also were able to act, players were able to access all skins and weapons they'd purchased or unlocked across three premium COD titles in which Warzone was a part of, uh, which was Modern Warfare 2019, Black Ops Cold War, and Call of Duty Vanguard. However, those cosmetics and purchases are not available or compatible with Call of Duty Warzone 2.0. On Thursday, Thursday, Activision noted the following Caldera closure. Players will be able to access their purchase content in Modern Warfare, Black Ops, Cold War, and Vanguard multiplayer modes, but they will be inaccessible elsewhere. Quote, we have had an incredible Warzone experience across the Call of Duty franchise since its first launch, including Warzone Caldera. For players who haven't jumped over to the current Warzone activities, expect a vast amount of gameplay choices across Battle Royale, including the new Season 4 content, ranked play, DMZ, beta features, and five different extraction zones, black cell offerings, and more. Thank you for the COD community for our development of Warzone and making this place amazing together. Whatever. This is dog shit, actually. Um... This is the this is the Activision machine at work though, you know. Um, apparently, what's been happening, and I don't play Warzone. I, I play a lot of Call of Duty, but I don't play Warzone. I don't I don't do the Battle Royale stuff, so I don't know too well. But I know people are pissed about Warzone. People don't like the new Warzone, which I don't know. I played very little the first one. I played even less the second one. But I actually think the new Warzone feels a little bit better than I remember the last Warzone being like, but people seem really disenfranchised with it. They're not huge fans of it. It's actually performing worse than Activision um, expected, apparently. Um, So I think what this is, it's a consolidation tactic to kind of force people down the one option for Warzone as they continue to basically turn Warzone 2.0 back into the Warzone people loved beforehand. um, They're 
sunsetting the original Warzone to kind of just keep it all in one place. What's interesting about this is before Warzone, Black Ops 4 had that Blackout Battle Royale mode that I actually did play a lot more of, and I will say is a way better Battle Royale than Warzone is. Blackout on Call of Duty Black Ops 4 was so much better than Warzone. But what's funny is you can still play Blackout if you have Black Ops 4 on your Xbox or PC or whatever. You can play Blackout. Um, there aren't too many people left on it, but you can still get a full game every now and then. And uh, you'll be able to play that and Warzone 2, but you won't be able to play Warzone 1, which is clearly a tack for them to just try and funnel the player base over to Warzone 2. They didn't shut down Blackout when Warzone came out, and it's because everyone jumped to Warzone. So it's a really shitty tactic. It's a terrible way to take care of your community and your player base, not honoring any of these purchases they made. This is the thing is like people don't mind spending money on live service games like fucking World of Warcraft or or uh, Counter-Strike Go or any of that shit because they know those cosmetics, those purchases will carry over forever and ever and ever and ever and ever or at least a very long-ass time. But with Call of Duty, it's like they ask you to buy these fucking Warzone and player bundles for like $20, $30 all the time. Why? Just to release a new game in nine months that's going to replace everything you worked for and purchased? No way. So I get why players are mad and I don't blame them at all and this is shitty, but yeah, Warzone, again, that's not even really, uh, like that's like barely three years old. It's It's going away. One of those popular games is going away. But what that means is you're just going to see Warzone 2, which has already been the case a little bit, but continue to just become more and more like the Warzone that everyone loved before. So basically, it'll just be like everything's merging into one in a sense. But yeah, I understand it's disappointing news to people. What can I say? Activision sucks. Bobby Kodak hates Game Pass, and he's probably harassing someone right now as we speak. All right, last one here. These are just kind of wrap-ups. This is, uh, this is the... Um, NPD now called, it's called the Circana now. It used to be called NPD, but this is the data for the month of May 2023. The top 20 best selling games for the month. Uh, before we get into that, I'll go over hardware real quick. Circana or NPD, formerly known as NPD, said that hardware spending in May hit $338 million, the highest total for May since $427 million was hit back in 2008. So it's a really big month for gaming, but not nearly as big as it was back in 2008. Uh, what game came out of that year? What was that? Like Grand Theft Auto 4 or something? What is that? Uh, Switch was on, sorry, Switch was the top platform holder in both units sold and dollar amount sales, uh, while PS5 continues to lead the hardware market across both units sold and dollars in terms of year to date. The U.S. Consumer Spending Report on gaming hardware content accessories in May was up 12% over year over year. 4.1 billion U.S. dollars year to date consumer spending is flat at 21.8 billion dollars. So real quick, let's get into these top 20 best-selling games of the year. Number one, as this should be no surprise whatsoever, the number one best-selling game of the year was The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. At the number two spot was Hogwarts Legacy. Number three was Jedi Survivor Star Wars. Number four is Dead Island 2, which is really really impressive to see it hanging on. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 took the number five spot. MLB The Show at number six. FIFA 23 at number seven. And Mario Kart 8 at number eight, which is just mind-boggling. I can't fucking believe it. Uh, Resident Evil 4 still holding in strong at number nine. And then you had Far Cry 6 at number 10, which is crazy that that game, you know. So this is why Ubisoft makes Far Cry over and over and over again. They do really well. Uh, you still have Elden Ring at 11. Microsoft had its only showing with Minecraft at the number 12 spot. And then other notable placements are Madden NFL 23 at number 15 and Lego's uh, Star Wars The Skywalker Saga at number 19. The rest was pretty much all just Mario and Pokemon games because the Mario movie did really well and people are buying Mario games. 
and because Pokemon. So Nintendo absolutely, and it's really important to know. Let me count this: one, three, four, five, six, seven, seven Nintendo games. 10 if you include multi-platform. I mean, Nintendo is fucking dominating the MPD. It's insane. And Nintendo was hurting for a while there, and then the Switch was a huge success. And then when we were like, okay, they figured out a way to make it work, they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the Switch is just fucking clobbering. Between Tears of the Kingdom and the Mario movie rebolstering Mario game sales, Nintendo's just out of this world insanely just destroying while... Xbox does basically nothing, and, you know, uh, fucking PlayStation does pretty well, all things considered. But, hey, notice that uh, notice that Redfall is nowhere on that list at all, of course. Game probably sold abysmal. Arcane games never sell well. And then also, of course, everyone who played it probably played it through Game Pass. So, not a good look for Xbox. They probably won't have anything to say until we get to September, at which point you expect Starfield to be pretty high on that list, because I think a lot of people are going to buy it on PC. But we'll have to wait and see once that once we get there, so... We'll find that out in October. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our important news. Now, real quick, let's wrap up with a couple of important enough stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. Starting with Metal Gear Solid. The Metal Gear Solid Volume 2 collection lineup has reportedly been leaked. Uh, according to the leak from Nintroid on Nitroid on Twitter, uh, Metal Gear Solid's website added buttons to the franchise timeline that included more than just Volume 1's games. It included also Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriot, which has never been on Xbox, Metal Gear Solid 5, Phantom Pain, and Metal Gear Solid's Peace Walker in a Volume 2 collection after the Discovery IGN reported to have heard that these games are set to be included in the Volume 2 collection as well, so it's probably very likely to be true. All right, next up, uh, from the Xbox Wire, a Barbie 1956 Chevrolet Corvette EV Corvette is coming to Forza Horizon 5 and a Ken 2022 GMC Hummer EV pickup. Uh, Everyone who plays Forza Horizon 5 will be gifted these themed cars. Just download them from the in-game message center and they will appear in your garage. Next up, it appears that Sonic Superstars will be released just three days before the uh, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, uh, pitting the legendary mascots head-to-head once again. As reported by Sonic Stadium, a listing on U.S. retailer Target's website says that the game will be released on October 17th. While this hasn't been confirmed, it is very possible that that is true, which means it will be going out the same day as Alan Wake 2, which is hurtful because... Sonic Superstars, Alan Wake 2, and Starfield are most anticipated games this year, and if two of those three games come out at the same day, woo-hoo. Next up, Sega launched its second free DLC for Sonic Frontiers this Friday as part of Sonic's um, birthday, for celebrate his birthday. Uh, the Birthday Bash update was revealed, and with that update comes free dec- new decorations, a spin dash move to add new pl- new game plus and more collectible cocoa in the game. So new ways to play and then a bigger th- like free story DLC comes later in the year. So stay tuned for that. And then next up, the head of Sonic the Hedgehog franchise has told VGC that there may be a future where the company brings back the dormant Sega series like Nights into Dreams and Burning Rangers. In an interview with VGC at Summer Game Fest, when asked Takashi Izuki, said that if the return of 2D Sonic in the recently announced rivals, or sorry, re-revival of Samba de Amigo could lead to any return of classic franchises, it would probably be something like Knights or Burning Rangers. Next up, Quake 2 Remastered has been rated, suggesting Bethesda is planning to release an enhanced version of its software's classic FPS, spotted by Gametsu. The announced title has been classified by South Korea's game ratings and administration community, which is a very common way for it to get revealed. QuakeCon this year is on August 10th to 13th at 
at Gaylord Texan Resort and Convention Center in Grapevine, Texas, which is likely where this will be revealed. And finally, Bioware have confirmed that it will be laying off staff as part of a transition to Star Wars Old Republic to a new developer. Confirming an earlier media report, the company said in a blog post on this past week that the 12-year-old MMO would soon be transitioning uh, transitioning to Brosword, a company which already partners with EA managing online development operations of classic MMOs like Ultima Online and Dark Age of Camelot. I have not heard those names in so long. Ultima Online, holy shit. Uh, Broadsword's president, Rob Denton, has a, a direct experience with Star Wars The Old Republic, having helped them lead the team during the launch of the game during its time at EA. Although most of the current development team will be offered roles at Broadsword, according to Bioware, not everyone will make the move. So there will be some layoffs, which blows, and the game is basically just going to be continued support by this new Broadsword company. I read that wrong the first time because I was missing a D in my notes. Broadsword, not Broadsword. All right. That's crazy, man. Uh, I cannot believe that thing is 12 years old. That makes me feel so fucking old. I was in high school when that came out. Uh, all right. That's it for all of our news this week, you guys. Thank you so much. Now let's round out the podcast by heading on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast where the comments live. Each week, you guys write in. You go on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast, and you can leave any comment you want. You can say slurs. You can say compliments. You can say compliments about slurs you can do whatever you want i don't care i'm not i'm not inciting violence i'm just saying i'm not your fucking father so do what you want but if you do say something i don't agree with i will either not read your comment or i will come to your house personally and evict you that's right i am your landlord now you answer to me do you fucking understand me you answer to me god damn it anyway getting into our comments this week our first one comes from mr maug who says i no longer have a powerful pc to play for starfield I sold it to get a handheld gaming PC, not the ROG Ally, by the way. And I said, well, which one? He goes, the AOKZOE, the AOKZOE A1 Pro. It's basically the same processor, a little different extreme uh, than the Ally. Bigger battery, bigger screen, and $800. Holy shit, what are you talking about? I have no idea what the AOKZOE A1 is. What the fuck is happening, man? I feel so out of touch now with the with the advent of these new gaming handhelds. I just I'm like I know about Switch, but I can't keep up, man. Let me know what it is though. It sounds uh, it sounds interesting. Let me know. I, I'm I am pretty compelled by that ROG Ally. I just know it's not a good idea for me to buy one, but I would love to know how these competing brands are and how they stack up, especially against Steam Deck and things like that. So keep us posted, Mister Malgan. Congratulations on the purchase. Uh, oh, you also said it's okay, Jesse. I'm with you on Star Wars Outlaws. The game looks amazing, along with the new Assassin's Creed Next Defiant. I'm surprised Ubisoft has drawn me in with their event. Yeah, I think I think they put on a great event last year or last the other weekend. Um. I'm, I'm glad you're looking forward to Star Wars. It looks looks great. We can play it. It's okay. We'll play it. You can play it on your handheld, and I'll play it on my Xbox, and everyone else is lame except for us. We're awesome, and they all suck. That's how that works, Mr. Maug. I'm not I'm not treating you to – I'm not teaching you to inherit toxic traits uh, that, that prevent you from looking inwards and improving yourself and being a better human both to yourself and to others around you. I'm just saying what you should do in life when you don't agree with other people, when you feel like your viewpoint is misrepresented or underrepresented, is double down, tell everyone they're dumb and everyone they're wrong, and say what you think and what you like is right, and everyone else is just stupid. I mean, isn't that easier? Doesn't that make more sense to you? Duh. All right, head on to Halo writes in. Thank God I miss you, baby. He says, Volcano Taco at Taco Bell is coming back on June 29th. Confession time. I don't... I, I know people are nostalgic for the Volcano menu. I never had anything on the Volcano menu, ever. 
Never had volcano sauce. Don't know anything about it. But I saw that they are bringing back some volcano taco, which looks like the beefy melt taco they already have, but with volcano sauce. I'll 100% try that out. I want to see what it's all about. So I'm looking forward to it. Halo, thank you for reminding me. Let me know what you think. I'll let you know what I think. Maybe next week we can talk about it. Sam Frito writes in. Sam Frito, Sam Torres changed his name to Sam Frito, and so now I must change my name. It is no longer Jesse DeRosa. It is Xbox Daddy. He says, Jesse, you mentioned doing some traveling last week. Did you bring your Series S with you? That system is phenomenal as a travel companion. I have mine with me, and it rocks. Uh, Sam, thank you for writing in. Fun question. No. Uh, I flew from Orlando to Detroit, Michigan for almost exactly 24 hours. And I flew Frontier and took a backpack. And no, <laughs> I did not bring my Series S. Although it's funny you mention that because I did bring my Kindle and my Switch. I did not expect to play my Switch. My girlfriend made me bring it. I was like, I don't want to bring the Switch. And then halfway through the plane ride, I found myself playing Splatoon. And I was like, this is fun. <laughs> but um, anyway, side point. I thought about that. I was like, I would love to bring the Series S. You get that little portable monitor thing that everyone buys on Amazon. I'm like, that'd be, that'd be fun. I would love to try that. But the fact of the matter is, I just don't travel enough. I'm just, I'm not in that part of my life yet. I'm just, uh, you know, I, I work a job that's, you know, in my area and doesn't require any travel whatsoever. And then all I do when I'm not at work is podcast or talk about Xbox, play Xbox, or go to Disney World. So it's just like, it's it's the same reason I don't have the ROG Ally or the Steam Deck or any of those things. It's like, I love, I like the idea. I'm enticed by it. It's a cool device. I want to do this thing with it, but I just, that's not my, I like the idea of, I like the idealized version of that, but that's not my lifestyle. The closest I ever had to that was when I still lived in Atlanta during those early years of the Switch. It was awesome. Even before the Switch, I used to do it with the 3DS or the PS Vita, Um, but it it was awesome when, you know, especially like those last five years or so I was in Atlanta, I took the train every fucking day. I I spent all day on MARTA, which is the, um, the, the public transportation system we have in Atlanta. Just all day, train to work, train to school, train everywhere. I was always on, I was living on that fucking train. And it was cool because I got to just, everywhere I go, it's earbuds in, Nintendo Switch, book, PlayStation Vita, whatever. I was always playing a mobile game or something like that. And I had that very mobile lifestyle. If that was still my life, I'd get an ROG ally and a Steam Deck, one for each hand. But, you know, a fucking Series S on my lap on the train, something like that. I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't do anything. I just, I sit in a fucking little Honda on the highway and just rot in traffic all day. And I just, when I play games, it's in front of my, in front of my TV in, in the living room. Like I just, I don't have, I don't have any opportunity to take advantage of these things, but I really want to, because I, I like, I, I think I like the idea. I like the, the fantasy of like, I'm a guy who travels for work. And you know, when my coworkers are off after a long day of, you know, traveling around the country and doing business meetings, they, hire hookers and do blow in their in their hotel rooms while me five doors down uh cozies up with a, a slightly chilled can of mountain dew live wire and plugs in my xbox series s and connects to the hotel wi-fi to play you know fucking conquers bad fur day live and reloaded via backwards compatibility on the xbox game pass library or some some shit like that like that's that's like my ideal life and you know it's like, Honey, I miss you. I'll be home Friday. I'm traveling to Michigan or some bullshit like that, and I miss you dearly. Tell the cat I said hello. I'll get back to Conker's Bad Fur Day now. You know, but no, no, dude. I drive a car. Sam, thank you for writing in. God bless you. You travel for a living? That's cool shit, man. That means you're cool. I envy that. 
OG Man Man 4980. You guys gotta stop adjusting your name slightly. You're scaring the fuck out of me. OG Man writes in and says, Hi, Jesse. I just beat Resident Evil 4 Remake for the fourth time on my Xbox Series X, added to probably the 15th, uh, 15th or so time between PS2, Wii, and Xbox One, and that got me thinking. It's probably the game I've, ple- I've completed the most times. Just wondering what game you have beat the most times, and anyone else in the comments I'd love to hear. Halo 3 is probably my second game I've beaten the most. Curious to hear your answer. This is a great question. This is a really fun question. I love questions like this. So, yeah, Resident Evil 4, I feel like I, I can't wait to finally play that game because I know, I know I'm going to love it, and I feel like you're not alone. That is one of those games where I feel like people who have played Resident Evil 4 have played it many times before, not just because they re-release it all the fucking time, but because it's just so beloved that it's worth playing multiple times. Yeah, man, I, well, you touched on one for me, and then I touched on one earlier in the show, so Halo 3 is definitely a game I've played a shit ton of games. I've probably played the campaign on Halo 3, I'd say maybe just around 20 times, between 10 and 20 times, so let's just say 15. I've, I've played Halo 3's campaign many times. It's, it's one of those games I beat on almost an annual basis, so I'd say Halo 3 for sure. Um, Spider-Man 2, the 2004 game, Spider-Man 2, developed by Treyarch, uh, the movie tying game for the Spider-Man 2 movie, Sam Raimi. That is probably one of the games I've played the most. I, I've probably beaten that game about a dozen times or so. Let's think, there's some, there's some good ones. I've definitely beaten... Actually, as a kid, honestly, Mario Galaxy is my favorite game of all time, but the Mario game I've probably beaten the most times is Mario 64. I play, I, I actually don't like that game as, at all as an adult. I think Mario 64 kind of sucks. But as a kid, I loved Mario 64, and I, I beat that game maybe a bajillion times. Although, it's kind of cheating. I would like, skip around and just play like certain levels and certain boss fights over and over again. So, maybe that doesn't count as much. I used to play... I used to have a weird Christmas tradition. Don't fucking ask me why, but probably like five or seven years, I had a tradition where... I would play Tony Hawk's American Wasteland on Xbox 360 from start to finish every December around Christmas time because the December it came out in 2005, I played it. Well, back then it was on PS2. I played it, but I, I beat it around that time, and it was I just loved that game so much. It was my favorite Tony Hawk game, so it became like um, it just became a weird Christmas tradition for me to always play that game. But uh, the overarching theme is I like I like games that are like eight hours long. That's the overarching theme for me. You'll see consistently, but. I don't know. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say probably Mario sixty four, Spider Man two from two thousand four, Halo three. Actually, Combat Evolves up there too, which is weird because Combat Evolves like my least favorite Halo, but I probably played it. I probably beaten it the most outside of Halo three. Honestly, Sonic. I would say, I I would say I've beaten Sonic the Hedgehog two maybe a bajillion times. I, between between Sega Genesis emulators, Xbox three sixty, Nintendo DS. All, all the various ways, you know, Xbox 360 and Xbox One. I've probably played Sonic 2, I don't know, probably almost as much as Halo 3. I've probably beaten Sonic 2 like 15, 20 times. That's a good one. And then Sonic Unleashed, Sonic Unleashed and Sonic Colors. I've probably beaten both those games five to ten times each. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's the usual suspects. Mario, Sonic, Halo. I'm a fucking man child. What do you want? Spider-Man. Nothing really uh, creative or unique. I don't have, I don't have particularly like unique or eccentric game taste. I just, you know, I just like things that are marketed at eight-year-old boys. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's that's a fun question. It's always fun to kind of like reflect on that. I I I wish there was a way for me to have like a a factual, like objectively correct list or ranking of games I've beaten the most times. 
I mean, I, I feel like there's one or two I'm really forgetting, but that's that's a fun one. I'd love to hear other people's uh, lists as well. But yeah, shout out to Halo 3. Shout out to Resident Evil 4. My plan was to play it this year for Halloween, but this fall is so fucking flooded with so many games that I'm like, I don't know. Like, for sure, Alan Wake 2 will be my Halloween game, but I hope I can fit Resident Evil 4 Remake in there, but I, I doubt it. You guys know me. You, you see me talk about the games I've been playing every week. I'm slow. I'm slow at making progress, so I don't, I don't know if I can <laughs> add that one to the list. Um, but we'll see. Thanks for riding, OG Man. Hope you're having a great week. Oh, Headhunting Halo. He had a second part of his comment I totally missed here. He says, forgot to mention, shout out to Nintendo for three Mario games this year, Wonder RPG and Peach's own game. Dude, Super Mario Wonder looks so good. Oh, my God. The fact that we're getting a new 2D Mario that looks awesome, a new Sonic, a 2D Sonic that looks awesome, and a Remedy game, and a really awesome sci-fi space open world game all in one year. I'm like, God fucking damn it. It's like just screaming Jesse. The only thing this year needs more than what we already are getting is like a Guitar Hero, a Tony Hawk, and for the Call of Duty to be a Black Ops game and not a fucking sledgehammer game. But uh, yeah, good one. All right, let's uh, round out with a couple quick comments. Cronky, we got two more. Cronky says, Embracer is a is in the dumpster. Gives us a chance. Oh, sorry, Embracer being in the dumpster gives us a chance to fix the past mistake. Xbox could get Crystal Dynamics, and and also please FFS get Lord of the Rings into better hands. Oh, for fuck's sake, get Lord of the Rings into better hands. Yeah, that that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, clearly it looks like hey, we just learned they were looking at Crystal Dynamics at one point alongside Square Enix. I think Crystal Dynamics is a good fit for Xbox personally. Um, I want them to get Remedy. But yeah, Crystal Dynamics is a good one. Remy's a good one. People Can Fly is a good one. Sega and Bungie. So make it happen. Uh, and last one is Mike Clark 448 who says, The way Nintendo has been releasing games lately is the way to go. Show the game six months uh, and show sorry show the game and six months later release it. That is so much better than showing something and waiting half a decade to see it. Can see Ar- Arcane Austin being merged, but not what I want there is no faith in the studio to get the most uh, uh, of that prey team or gone. No need to th- uh, go throwing good money in time after bad games. You know, that's a good point that they could maybe merge. Although their teams are between Austin, Texas and somewhere in Fr- like Lyon, France or somewhere like that. So, I mean, I don't know if you really merge them, but yeah, I mean, maybe if they weren't so terribly far, I don't know. Maybe that's a good point, but I, I think Austin gets another swing because that's, on Bethesda and Microsoft for the failure of Redfall, not on their fault, but who knows? You know, smaller guys take the fall for the big guys all the time, so who knows? Maybe maybe they do just get shut down, but I doubt it. Uh, lastly, he said, People Can Fly doing an ODST or Reach-style story game would be glorious. I really just want Halo lore games at this point until somebody figures out what to do with Master Chief. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that over no Halo at all, but fuck me. Yeah, I know. Dude, People Can Fly would make a badass Halo game. God, that'd be so good. That or, or uh, Treyarch, because I just like Treyarch. Um, but yeah, I, mostly it's your first point is what I want to touch on. I just, I, yes. It, it's so funny, the stark contrast, where PlayStation, in a very unconventionally PlayStation way, really just had nothing of substance to talk about this year. And the stuff they did at the show was like live service games that no one really cares all that much about or we have no real concrete info on. Nintendo's been fucking killing it this year by just being like, Oh, yeah, Pikmin's coming out this year. You already knew about that from last year. And then here's a bunch more games that are coming out this year you didn't even know about. And, I mean, all, all we need is that Metroid Prime 4, and, and we're fucking set. Although that that's probably a Switch 2 game at this point. But, yeah, Nintendo is killing it. And they are, 
you know, I, I think Xbox did such a great job of their showcase, but no denying if, if there's anyone to glean off of right now or to get any kind of inspiration from in terms of how it's done in the industry, Nintendo's your boy. Although Nintendo and Xbox have very different strategies at this point because Nintendo's all about selling you first-party games at full price on their console, and Xbox is all about trying to keep you invested in Game Pass. So Xbox has an incentive to prematurely announce things because they want to keep you excited about the future of Game Pass. Nintendo doesn't benefit from telling you about a game that's coming out in five years because they know that no one gives a shit about the game until it's released, so you probably want to know about the games that are coming out now or in the next year or so. So a little bit of a different incentive for these companies, but no doubt, in my opinion, for my money, Nintendo's right now just doing a killer job. And I'm surprised because usually late in a generation, Nintendo historically is terrible at the end of a generation. Like we're, we're getting close to the announcement of the next Nintendo console. And usually this is around the time where Nintendo just fucking leaves their console to fucking die. But Switch is still selling, so I guess we're going to get a little bit more of a, a Game Boy story and a little bit less of like a, of like a Wii U kind of story here where they're just they're going to support this thing. So that's awesome, man. And uh, thank you for writing in, Clark, Mike Clark, and I uh, hope everyone is well. Thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. And that's going to do it for this very long episode of Xbox On. Phil Spencer, Matt Booty, all the people at the courtroom, the FTC... Free us of this misery. Either buy Activision or don't. Let it happen or deny it. But for the love of Christ, let us get back to just opining about whether or not Master Chief can pee in his suit rather than uh, have to speculate and be armchair law experts about what, what the hell's going on with Activision. So for the love of Christ, I'm excited to hear your comments this week. You guys, write them in. Let me know what you think. Give me your feedback. And remember, you can pick your friends. You can pick your nose. But you can't pick who Microsoft acquires, because then we'd be buying Sega. Power your dreams.